Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. guys welcome back to the attitude of aggression wrestling podcast here it is episode 280 of the show and on this episode we are doing episode 280 like i said and we're also doing chapter seven of the big four project probably i would have to say the most anticipated chapter of the big four project so far for sure Um, because on this episode we are covering all about the ultimate challenge, Royal Rumble 1990, WrestleMania 6, and included on this episode for the first time ever, as promised, we are doing the first ever 280 episodes of the Attitude of Aggression, and for the first time ever, we are doing a full-on watch-along of the main event of WrestleMania 6 between the Ultimate Warrior, the Intercontinental Champion at the time, and Hulk Hogan, the WWF Champion, title for title, the Ultimate Challenge. You will hear that as it was myself and PC Tunney did the watch along for that. Um, On this episode, it is myself and PC Tunney reviewing Royal Rumble 1990. And um, of course, I have to give a big shout out and thank you to PC Tunney because my dumb ass went and actually deleted the recording that we had done of that. But thankfully, Tunney in his infinite wisdom copies and, you know, he does um, backup recordings of just about everything. So he had the backup recording of that and saved us a whole lot of time and trouble trying to redo that on then the WrestleMania six review was for everything up to the main event. It was myself, PC Tunney and DJ from the mindless wrestling podcast. We're kind of the three musketeers of the uh, big four project. DJ had to cut out and Tunney and I stayed on and we did the watch along Hulk Hogan versus the ultimate warrior. You will hear that on this episode, Chapter 7 of the Big Four Project, Royal Rumble 1990, WrestleMania 6, all about the ultimate challenge here on Episode 280, Chapter 7 of the Big Four Project. You will hear that coming up Um, at the outset, though, of this episode. And uh, I feel like I, you know, I have to talk about this and, and, you know, to be in full disclosure, what we I'm recording this right now, it is. Sunday. It is August 27th, Sunday, about what is it? 315, 318 in the afternoon Pacific time. Um, AEW's All In has already d- been completed, come and gone. And of course, you know, in keeping with the uh, <laughs> the theme here of, of yours, yours truly, the lawyer Dave Unger being an idiot, 
I uh, apparently set the recording for that for the replay coming up later on this week and didn't realize that, hey, this thing isn't recording until, like, I guess the third match, the Bullet Club Gold versus Bullet Club Elite match where I started, where I realized, hey, what the hell's going on? And I fixed that and got it recorded, so hopefully I'll get to watch the um, replay in the first three matches, although not anything it doesn't sound like anything major we'll talk a little bit about all in just kind of the uh, the outcome and of course big controversy coming out of uh wembley another backstage altercation involving cm punk shocking right you guys are stunned right um but before we get to the big four project uh aspect of this i i we have to acknowledge this last week was really hard um for those of us who have covered pro wrestling for a while, you know, this show's been on the air since 2015. Um, had a couple of big losses this week in, in pro wrestling, including, um, you know, we had the loss of Terry Funk earlier this week. Uh, and then the next day, the world got rocked even harder um, because we lost Wyndham Rotunda, who, of course, we all know as Bray Wyatt um, at the age of 36. And I want to acknowledge it here. You know, I want to talk a little bit about it. We just we recorded Bandwagon Nerds earlier today on the Chairshot Radio Network, a part of the Chairshot.com. And near the end of that show, we kind of talked about it. It was just a rough week because it wasn't as Terry Funk and Bray Wyatt. Bob Barker passed away. Uh, you know, people in the entertainment industry passed away. We had a, a very difficult week all the way around, Dave. Uh, it just, it just, I don't know, man. It's it's when it, when it happens, you know, usually it happens in threes and that sort of thing. But like today, this week was, because you look at, yeah, Dan Green, Artist for Marvel Comics, um, Arlene Sorkin, who was the original voice of Harley Quinn. You know, then you got Bob Barker, Terry Funk, Bray Wyatt. You know, obviously, I want to focus in for this podcast on Terry Funk and Bray Wyatt. You know, like we talked, Terry Funk, one of the all-time great legends. Um, He was like 79 years old, so he lived a full life. He was in failing health. And so when you're 79, it's not, yes, it sucks all the same, no doubt about that, but it's not like unexpected no with bray and and like i said on bandwagon nerds my my favorite terry funk feud of all time was the feud he had with rick flair um where he uh suckered rick flair pile drove him on top of that table and that kicked off that big feud they had and it was and like we talked about dj talked about it on bandwagon nerds like you know you're a good heel when you can make everybody cheer for rick flair because rick was one of the biggest pricks in the world as far as you know in ring character and and just ultra ultra mega heel that rick flair was so when you can turn everybody on rick flair's side you've done something well i always loved that feud uh that was one of my favorite ones and and it kind of was a you know it set flair up and it set him and staying on the path that they would go on and it was it was one of my favorite feuds from back in the old nwa days the early early days i don't know if they were wcw yet but uh they were on the way to that so you know, Terry Funk, of course, Hall of Famer, one of the greatest of all time. It was cool that Cody Rhodes came on SmackDown and he um, so yeah, it is cool that Cody showed up on uh, SmackDown to honor Terry Funk because, of course, you know, one of Funk's all time great rivals was Cody's dad, the American Dream Dusty Rhodes. You know, that was was fitting. Bray Wyatt, on the other hand, um, you know, one of the most creative minds in the industry, a guy who reinvented himself numerous times from Husky Harris to Bray Wyatt to The Fiend to being released to coming back 
everything in between. And you look, you know, not all of it was great. We all we all know that stuff that not all of it was great. A lot of it that wasn't that his fault, you know, like I kind of mentioned it on bandwagoners. It was kind of a quasi joke. But, you know, the the Hell in the Cell match, the red light Hell in the Cell match with Seth Rollins, where there was no definitive outcome uh that wasn't on bray that's on vince but that kind of stuff stuck with him but you know so some of it was better than others for sure but the thing is that the guy was brilliant and he never stopped thinking and he never stopped innovating and he's never stopped kind of modifying his character and the things that he did and that's all great and none of it's relevant when you look at the fact that a wife and, and kids lost their dad at the age of 36 and you know 36 is just it's there's no there's no way to get around that. Um, and, you know, we've we've learned since it happened that Bray died of a heart attack and uh, he uh, had caught COVID earlier in the year. I guess that's what happened in February when he got sick. And it, they use the word exacerbated, but it's probably more like an aggravation. He must have had a pre-existing heart condition that was made worse by uh, contracting COVID. And and on bandwagon nerds, I also talked about it, and PC Tony knows this, you know, I've already gotten into arguments with people online who are using Bray Wyatt's death as a platform to spread this anti-vaccination rhetoric. I was like, dude, you don't even know, A, he had a pre-existing condition, B, we don't know whether he was vaxxed or not. We don't know what kind of vaccine he got. We don't know whether he got one or two or three or four, you know, but it's <laughs> to sit there and say, oh, it's another example of a young athlete dying because of the vaccine. Your evidence, it's just based on this political Anyway, I'm not going to get into all that stuff. What I am going to get into is it's it's obviously a soul-crushing tragedy for for JoJo and for the kids and and you know and I, I mentioned it again on the show like I wonder what you know he had to be they had to be monitoring his condition if he had a pre-existing condition he was supposedly getting close to being able to return so yeah what went wrong how did he have a, a suddenly fatal heart attack that you know wasn't and you know it's it's always hard to tell when people are in the throes of a cardiac arrest or what went wrong or, or where it happened and why they couldn't get him resuscitated. Who knows? I'm sure the details will come out in the months to follow, but none of that really matters because what really matters is that, you know, we lost a, an incredibly beloved man. I mean, you look at the tributes coming out through the industry, just everybody coming out saying what a great person Bray was, Wyndham, and what a great, you know, friend he was, a family man. Um, nobody having a bad thing to say about him. I know that, at All In today, they did some sort of a Firefly tribute to Bray uh, during, I think, the House of Blacks match that Ray Cash was telling. I haven't gone back and watched it yet because uh, I've been recording. But, yeah, it's um, it's devastating. You look at the impact. You look at the heartfelt tribute. Seth Rollins had a great one that he recorded in his car. Miro had a great one um, that he recorded in his car. You know, there's guys we haven't heard from yet who, you know, he this whole thing impacted them. Roman Reigns has come under fire from a lot of people for not being at SmackDown on Friday. And, you know, initially I was like, yeah, that is kind of weird. You would think he would be there to honor him. But, you know, it dawned on me that everybody everybody grieves differently. And Roman is grieving with this the way that he, you know, he it's it's ludicrous to assume or suggest that he didn't. He just doesn't care because him and Bray came up together and him and Bray were that was one of the big feuds that Roman had when they first came up. Roman took the title from the fiend when he started this run in August of 2020. So there's a lot that I'm sure Roman Reigns, you know, I, I don't buy this nonsense. Oh, they're trying to keep him in character. Bullshit. Come on. You know, he, he, like when Owen Hart died, Undertaker was there, you know, the the tribute show. He, it's not like they kept him in character. Um, So it's it's 
just there's a lot of stuff that's going on. Not all of it is good, um, but most of it is. And most of the people are being respectful and, and sharing their memories of Bray Wyatt, what he meant to them. There are some fans who are very, very um, moved by what Bray had done. I feel for them. I feel for the kids. I feel for the family. It's a horrible, horrible, horrible situation um, when you lose a guy of Bray's talent at such a young age. You haven't even lived lived yet at the age of 36. There's so much he could have still done, so many things he wanted to do. Um, you know, other guys we haven't heard, haven't heard from Brian Danielson, obviously <laughs> very involved with Bray Wyatt at points of his career, John Moxley. And I, I, I did like I, the SmackDown tribute the other night was pretty cool. You, know, you did have um, Eric Rowan, who's not contracted to WWE there in the front row. Braun Strowman showed up, um, even though he's nursing an injury to honor honor Bray. Yeah, but also to honor the memory of Brody, you know, Brody Lee. It's, it's two of the four members of the Wyatt family. They're gone. And um, what can you say? You can't you can't really you can't put it into words. You can't rationalize it. You can't. That's all I can say. I mean, we've all talked about it. So many of us have talked about it for three days now, four days, three days since it happened. Caught us so f- out of left field, so much by surprise. You've probably heard it enough now over a bunch of podcasts here on the Chairshot Radio Network that, you know, all I can do is say, you know, rest in peace, cowboy. Um, Godspeed to you. See you on the other side. Oh, so anyway, it's a it's a somber. I mean, there and there's stuff, you know, you watch like L.A. Night kind of breaking a little bit the other night and it just it just gets to you. And and there's so many things that people have said that it does. It, it makes you tear up thinking about just uh, how senseless it seems. You know, they say there's a reason for everything and I'm sure there is, but I, I have trouble finding the reasoning for I'm not God, him and Bray. So um, anyway, that's. That's all I wanted to say. I wanted to acknowledge that at the outset of this and feel like it'd be proper to wait until the episode was over and then do it at the back end. So anyway, we're going to, st- I'm going to step away now. It's somber. And guys, you know, I certainly don't want this to be a downer. Um, unfortunately, we've had to do this a few times over the eight some odd years. The show has been on the air now. Um, there's been occasions when bad things have happened. Bad things have happened to good people, and you know we've had to talk about it. This year's been been particularly rough on on a lot of us in the industry. Lost a lot of good people, a lot of people that uh, have had a huge impact on all of us as fans, as analysts, podcast. But anyway, um, let's let's get away from the the negativity and kind of the sadness of the whole thing, and let's talk about uh, we're going to get into the Big Four project and. And not we're not going to do the Ron Burgundy jazz flute this time. I forgot that I've got like some actual big four music that I was going to use. So I'm going to put that in. We're going to go ahead and um, and get to the big four project. And this first half, like I said, is uh, chapter seven of the big four project. It's uh, PC Tunney and I reviewing Royal Rumble 1990. Of course, a very iconic event. Uh, this sets the stage for the ultimate challenge and, and Hulk Hogan versus the ultimate warrior, including that iconic showdown that they have in the rumble which you'll hear at least part of that on this episode we recorded it if i can figure out how to do this without completely screwing the pooch on on the um on the audio um we'll get a commercial break then we'll come back for the ultimate challenge and or excuse me wrestlemania 6 which is a pretty bloated ass card to be honest with you but we are going to go and cover that and talk about that um you'll also hear for the first time ever the watch along for wrestlemania 6 hogan and the warrior as the Ultimate Warrior wins the WWF Championship. So we're going to get to that. We'll come back. We'll talk a little bit about AEW All In, just kind of what I know 
Um, I don't want to spoil it a lot because a lot of you guys are probably watching the replay. Like I'm apparently going to have to do, even if I didn't mean to, but you know, being the moron that I am, that's what happens. Uh, we'll talk about in, and then kind of touch basis on just a little bit of stuff that's going on right now. So other than of course, this horrible heartbreaking news that we got this. Um, but let's get to the big four project. We're going to play some music. Then it'll be Tony and I coming back to talk Royal rumble, 1990. There'll be a commercial break somewhere in there between the that and our coverage of WrestleMania 6. But yes, it is Chapter 7 of the Big Four Project right here. Royal Rumble 1990, WrestleMania 6. Let's get to it. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the Big Four Project here on the Attitude of Aggression Wrestling Podcast, which is, of course, a part of the Chair Shot Radio Network on thechairshot.com, where we remind you to always use your head, that lump that's three feet above most of our asses, you know, that sort of thing. So um, it is Chapter 7 of the Big Four Project, and this, my friends, is PC Tunney's favorite oh chapter. It, it is. And, I, of course, you hear him already, the one and only PC Tunney. Last time you heard him, he was giving Survivor Series 89 a, a 4 out of 10 and feeling like, he been, feeling like he might have been too generous about that rating. I but, agree. <laughs> but here we are on this chapter of the Big Four Project. We are covering this is... This is the one, and all bullshitting aside, Tony was really looking forward to this chapter because we're covering Royal Rumble 1990 right here. And then in the second half of Chapter 7, we're going to talk WrestleMania 6 featuring the Ultimate Challenge. And right now, we don't know how many people are going to have to watch along that main event. We're going to make it up as we go along because we just kind of do that here on the Big Four Project. Tony, how are you doing first, man? It is a, it's a Tuesday evening. We're a few days out from SummerSlam. A couple days removed from the Great American Bash. All sorts of fun stuff going on. What is happening in Tunnyland? Ah, uh, just, you know, in the middle of golf, that's all. It's called the work week. So <laughs> you know what it's like. You you back on it. You you golfing just as much as I am pretty much this summer. And uh, uh right, can't you just wait to you know, it's Friday, I can relax and then either Saturday or Sunday I'm gonna get around it. Well I told you like I'm probably gonna break out to the oh, coast that's this right, weekend. That's right. You're gonna have a little vacation. And uh weekend. but no, there's a there's a course over in Camarillo, <laughs> which is like at, that I wanna play at because, you know, I told my wife, I was like, Well, we'll go over there, we'll do the fair I can go play over at Sterling Hills. I've always kind of wanted to play there. You can shop and just kind of hang around at the beach. And so it's perfect. You know, you get kill a bunch of, have a lot of fun, uh, do a course I've been wanting to play since I started to play. I've heard, uh, heard some good things about it. Um, but anyway, people here don't care about our golfing plans, Tony. Well, send me some they pictures want... anyway. 
I will. I will. Yeah, we've been doing that lately. Tony and I send pictures. I sent you one of Kern River, which is not, you know, what is kind of like not one of the go-to destinations. The background for... was nice, though. <laughs> it was. That was uh, that was the the par three six that we my nephew and I he played out of his mind. Like he he beat me on the. It's the one course he can beat me at because I struggle for some dumb reason. And then we went out to this other course. I shoot a 98, which is good for really good for me. And he shoots like a 122. So that tells <laughs> you the disparity and, and how he got, he got it kind of got lucky this one thing, but it, it's all right. You know, I don't mind. It's, it's good for him to get a win here and there. But anyway, let's talk Royal Rumble 1990. That is what we've got going on here. Patrick O'Dowd's messaging me on X because the Orioles, Uh-oh. I think got his starting pitcher. Uh-oh. Um, yeah, yeah. Okay. Uh, and Royal Rumble 1990. So where we left off with Survivor Series 89, the Warrior was the sole survivor of his match. And after Survivor Series 89, we talked about how Hulk Hogan finally vanquishes Zeus at No Holds Barred the match with the plethora, the trifecta of leg drops, finally sends Zeus packing. After that, you know, you've got Warrior is kind of feuded with Andre the Giant here and there. And, and, what we but what we know, Tony, is that at the house shows and the circuits around the nation, Warrior was beating Andre in seconds. I mean, I was there once at the DC Armory when Hogan or when Warrior and Andre fought. It was like Andre is in the ring. Warrior runs down to the runs right by us, goes in the ring, clotheslines Andre from behind, fucking slams him and pins him, and it's like twenty seconds and it's over. And you're like, Andre, the giant just got beaten twenty seconds, and this was happening all around the nation and all these live shows. So. We talked about it at the end of Survivor Series 89 that Vince putting Warrior in that main event spot kind of signified that maybe he had his eye on Warrior as a successor. You look at stuff that's going on after that, Warrior's going around the country beating Andre in second. Now, they didn't do this on Saturday night's main event. When they fought there, it's like bullshit countout thing. Andre looked much stronger in that match than he ever did against Warrior at the house shows. That's understandable. Hogan, meanwhile, I think, and this might be around the time that you saw this happen, Hulk kind of gets into a program with Mr. Perfect after Zeus is gone. And it's, you know, it lasts for a couple of months. And, um, you know, Perfect was still undefeated at, at this time. So he was a credible challenger to Hulk Hogan. And I think the idea that at some point Vince kind of switched his mind and said, okay, we're going Hogan Warrior and we're going to see how that translates here. But yeah, I mean, your, your thoughts on, on Warrior, I mean, beating Andre was a big deal. Nobody got to do it. Like, what Hogan and Warrior, the only ones I can think of in WWE who ever actually got a pinfall on Andre. So by doing that, did Vince, you know, does is that another sign that Vince sees something really big in the Ultimate Warrior to say, I'm going to let you beat Andre. I'll let you slam Andre too. I what do you think about that? I, I don't think Vince believed that Warrior could be a bad guy. I don't think he had that depth. Just like he didn't really have the depth to wrestle a long match until kind of Hogan brings him along at Mania for the most part. Um, But if you can get over on Andre and the fans still cheer you, likely you'll be able to get over on Hogan then and the fans will still cheer you. So it could have been a real test in that sense for Vince's eyes, seeing, you know, how big of a baby face do I really have here in the Ultimate Warrior? I mean, I can tell you from that night in the DC Armory, um, got a big, huge pop. I think a lot of us who were, you know, even hardcore fans back then, this is, you know, 19, the fall, winter of 89 going into 90, uh, you know, you don't have the internet or anything like that, so we don't know what's going on. But you hear stuff through, like, you know, 
the wrestling circuits. They had radio shows and stuff. So they would, it was before wrestling observer was doing all that sort of stuff, or if it was there, it wasn't really well known, but you heard what was going on in other places. I'm actually seeing it happen was surprising to see Andre the Giant just manhandled like this. But I think, you know, on top of that, though, over at the Capitol Center, just like a month or two later, we got Hogan uh, perfect in the main event of a match there. That, that of course, Hulk is going to win. I think you probably saw the same match in a different location, right? Yep. Same exact match. And it was funny because there was a big snowstorm uh, that day and like a legit one to where like, my stepdad was like, fuck it, we're going. I don't care. We have, I bought these tickets. You love this. I don't care. We're just going to take the side streets, you know. We get stuck. We'll find a bar. <laughs> you know, but it, it and we get there and, and a lot of people that are supposed to be there aren't there. So they end up having uh, like, it was, yeah. was kind of lucky though, because they ended up having a battle royal with the people they did have. I mean, you still had Jake Roberts. You still had Coco Beware. You still had Hacksaw. Um, a number of other, I think the model made it tito so it was a really good card that i got to see and luckily enough halfway through the show after announcing all these cancellations ladies and gentlemen hulk hogan is in the building and we're like yeah i bet that got a huge pop oh for sure but it was just a really good match i mean it was probably maybe a 10 12 minute match between hogan and and perfect and perfect got in a lot of stuff and got over and hogan kicked out of the perfect plex and Drop the boot, and that was the end. And everybody yeah, went home happy. They weren't showing that on TV, folks. Hogan kicking no, out of the perfect No, no, place. no. But that's what happened. That's what happened at the, at yeah, the house it, show it, I saw. It was a Saturday afternoon at, in Milwaukee. Yeah, it was like a Saturday in, in uh, Landover, Maryland, where we saw it at the old Cap Center. So, yeah, they were just running this this match around the nation and, and doing their thing. And, and it was cool because it did give, you know, kind of like, okay, let's catch our breath after the Zeus debacle. Uh, let's put Hulk in there against <laughs> the complete opposite of yeah, Zeus, right? I mean, you've got Zeus at one end. Yeah, Zeus at one end. Perfect. Kurt Henning at the other. It's like, wow, that that's interesting. So off we go to the Royal Rumble 1990. Now, again, kids, remember, Tony and I have done when we did the Royal Rumble 88 and 89. You have to remember that this is still before we get to the point where the winner of the Royal Rumble is designated. You get the main event at WrestleMania. So... And I was listening to Bruce Pritchard, like right before we got on the air, I was listening to him talk about it. And he was saying the same thing. This is before you get to that point where the winner of the Rumble is the main event at Mania. But the prestige of the Rumble um, carried with it like a, a title of its own. Now, I would say that I would not agree with that for 88 or 89. No. But here, yes. here what, when Hogan, you watch what Trent... Yeah. Sorry. No, I'm just saying, when you watch what transpires here in this match... I think this is probably the first time you can legitimately say, um, okay, I can buy that. And this is the first rumble with a, a, well, not really, because in 89 you had Hogan eliminating um, Savage by mistake, and you had that big blow up between them that then translated into Mega Powers exploding. This has arguably an even bigger moment and leads directly into, and and a lot of stuff that I've heard that um, we'll talk about when we get there, but... um, yeah, this is a pretty big match that we get here. And and it just and it it it's it's an evolution of the rumble and it takes the rumble to the next step as far as the marquee event that we all know and love today. The first one they didn't know what they had, right? And right. and right. obviously it's not a super marquee name winning it. And then the second one, you know, they started to know what they had and they used it 
to further their main storyline and one of the top three storylines in professional wrestling history, if you if you want to, you know, argue about it. So they finally get to the point now, the third one, they're like, all right, you know, let's super legitimize the shit out of this. Let's have Hogan win it twice, not to keep not to spoil the next chapter down the road. But, you know, it, we're not dealing with the last year's winner, next week's winner. We're dealing with 40 years ago. So um, right. it's just it's just interesting to see, because I don't think there's any less interesting winners than the first two as we move along here. Right. And and like you're saying, they they know what they've got and it's evolving. They're they're learning more about what can we do with this match. We saw what we can do with Savage and, and, and Hogan. Now we're going to see what we can do. And a lot of what they do with Warrior and Hulk in this match is Vince testing things out, seeing the reaction so much so that, and we'll talk about, you'll see it on the, we're going to actually play a little bit. When we get to the Hogan Warrior showdown, we're going to play that for you guys. Um, there's some interesting, when you watch the video, look at who's around the ringside area, even though they don't have anybody left in the match. It's very interesting because even people involved, Bobby Heenan, Mr. Fuji, you'll see that they kind of wanted to see what would happen and how the crowd reacted as well. Cause they, you know, shit, we're all going to make money off this thing if this works. <laughs> so Bobby Heenan, very interested, Mr. Fuji, very interested. Um, and it's, it, it involves so much that, you know, a couple few chapters down the line, we'll get to Royal rumble 92 fucking titles on the line in that match. And, what most of us consider to be one of, if not the greatest rumble matches of all time. Um, and maybe possibly another watch along. So let's get to it though. We've talked about some of the backstory, Royal Rumble, 1990, Orlando, Florida, January 21st, 1990. We get Tony Schiavone. Schiavone was not a part of survivor series. 89 was part of SummerSlam 89. He's back. This is probably the last time we're going to hear Schiavone on here. I, I, I don't think he's in any other pay-per-views. No. Um, he's joined by Jesse, the body Ventura. Uh, I thought, you know, they, as I said, for S- SummerSlam 89, it's a pretty good mixture between these two guys. Shivani holds his own. He's, he's kind of Vince jr. In this respect, as far as just the over the top baby face, that sort of thing. Jesse, of course is Jesse. And we're nearing the end of Jesse's run. As far as uh pay-per-views go, he's got one more WrestleMania left in him, but, you know, we're in Orlando, Florida, home of, uh, you know, I mean, <laughs> Orlando in January of 1990 is like, oh, okay, well, that's a little bit of a different location. It's not the hub of pro wrestling that it is now with NXT and AEW headquartered there. But anyway, let's talk undercard first. And, hold, um, hold on, Orlando, the act- Orlando Arena, 16,000 in attendance. 16,000 in attendance. Thank you, PC Tunney. Tunney's a stat man. He's here. Yeah. You're the man, Tunney. You are the man. <laughs> Uh, sixteen thousand, and that's that's a pretty good crowd. I mean, and they're and they, they're and we'll talk about it as we go along. But let's talk the undercard because the undercard of this rumble is actually pretty good. I thought you get the first match, the fabulous Rougeau brothers. They have Jimmy Hart. They're taking on the Bushwhackers. It, it's a fun match. I think it's not uh, you know at least two guys on one side are really good workers, and the other two guys are just fun. I guess at this point in time, and the match itself is is pretty much fun. Luke absorbs a lot of punishment. Um, when the hot tag does pl- take place, though, there's all sorts of chaos ensuing. The Bushwhackers nearly do a number on Jimmy Hart, but the, of, course, of course, the mouth of the South escapes. Um, and Jacques, however, he's not so fortunate, Tony, as he gets hit from behind with a battering ram, and the Bushwhackers snag the victory. Not a whole lot you can say about it. Just like, it's a fun match. It's a, it's a as far as curtain jerkers back in the day, the Bushwhackers and the Rougeos did this a lot. And 
they always seem to get the crowd going. The fans love the Bushwhackers. They're they're into this from the word go. Everybody's doing the stuff with the arms and the Bushwhacker dance. And and the faces get the win, and everybody starts, starts off very positive. Everybody's like, oh, yeah, that was great, awesome stuff. So there you go. The uh, Bushwhackers <laughs> still getting wins at this point in time. Um, as fond as we are of the fabulous Rougeau brothers, it's kind of a result that makes sense, right? The best part of the match is really the interaction with Jimmy Hart and the Bushwhackers, because like you said, you know, you give this to the crowd first, so they're not at a point of needing the main event or possibly, you know, something went too long they didn't like. It's impossible not to like the Bushwhackers right out the gate, the perfect foils, uh, the Rougeaus with Jimmy Hart, who does all, all the heavy lifting on the outside. Um, 13 minutes might've been a little too long, but the finish was fun. And, uh, yeah, it was a, it was a good opener for that time. I would have been cool with 10, 10 minutes would have been about the sweet spot for this. The extra three minutes didn't really add a whole lot, but we could have done, we could have done without five less. That's right. Exactly. Uh, yeah. But like you're saying, it's, it's a fun way to get the fans invested, get the kids going. You know, you adults are there with their kids. They want to get the kids happy and this is a good match to get the, the ball rolling and get the crowd engaged. Um, the next match we get, interesting one. This is going to further a storyline for WrestleMania six, And we get to see it's the genius versus Brutus the Barber Beefcake. So the Beefcakes, he's done with Savage and they're done with Zeus. And so for your reward, for your, all your service, you get the genius. But I will say that Watching this match, this is a really good showing by the genius in this match. Um, he didn't have a lot of high water marks. This is Randy Savage's brother, but we're not going to confuse the two as far as, you know, wrestling skill and acumen in the ring. But this is a really good performance by the genius, I thought. There's a ref bump that kind of alters everything because while the referee is knocked out, Brutus puts the genius to sleep. And he's giving the genius quite the trim job, Tony. He's taking a lot off the top of his head. And then it looks like, man, this is going to be a ball genius at the end of this thing. Mr. Perfect, who I got to say, man, and we'll see him in a little while. Perfect at this point right here, January 1990. Let me ask you this. Can you recall him being in better shape than he was here? Because he is in tremendous condition at this match. Like this or like his first comeback with WCW in the late nineties, when he came back, just like amazing, you know? Uh, but yeah, this was probably the peak of, of everything that he had worked for in the AWA and moving up, moving to New York and, and taking care of business. And I think he'd been IC title already at this time or not yet. Not yet. Not I think yet. he gets it after okay. six. We're, right. Warrior that's right. yeah, we're not, that's right. We're not there yet. Um, but he's right there. You know, that's why he's getting these matches with Hogan. And yeah, I mean, <laughs> He's, he's, he's got it all. It's just, it's amazing. He's probably, I don't know. We talk about all the top this and that. He's probably top five guys to never win one of the major titles. If you don't want to count AWA. Right, right. I mean, he's going to be a major, uh, one of the better intercontinental champions of all time, two times over. Oh yeah. But, but yeah, I think he comes in, he looks in tremendous shape. This is before his back has given him problems as we'll see a few years down the line at, at SummerSlam with, with Brett. But uh, he comes in. He looks fantastic. He's going to rescue the genius by attacking Brutus Beefcake with a chair. Gets the genius out of there. Saves the genius from further embarrassment, furthering the alliance between uh, Mr. Perfect and the genius. And it sets in motion this big feud between Brutus Barber, Brutus the Barber Beefcake and Mr. Perfect that will come on, culminate at WrestleMania 6. 
And you got to remember again, perfect is still undefeated at this point in time. He's been there for what close to a year. And despite what's happening at house shows, like what we're seeing, what you saw in Milwaukee, what I saw in Landover, as far as the rest of the world knows, Mr. Perfect's still undefeated. So, um, so I thought this was kind of cool. Beefcake is the kind of guy who, you know, you look at feuds that Perfect could have done after Hogan, and you say, yeah, Brutus, that that makes a lot of sense in a lot of ways. So, um, what do you think of the genius's performance here? I thought this was one of his better matches. This is probably one of his best, considering yeah, that he, right. like in one of, in one of the biggest ones too. If you look back, I mean, this is on a big four. It's a singles match on a big four pay per view in which he's fighting a guy who has a significant em- enough of reputation that it's a significant match, but not too significant where he doesn't get some stuff in. Like this is an 11, 12 minute match, and he doesn't lose either. So that's a pretty big for the genius. This might be his biggest match in the history of WWE. For I, I, yeah, you know, looking back on it, ten minutes, he doesn't formally lose the match. Um, yeah, it doesn't get much bigger than that. I so, don't think he wins I, anything at a pay per view without like being a part of something, uh, maybe a Survivor right, Series, but right, exactly. And he's so, not yeah, a big part is, of those. Right, right. So this is the high water mark for the genius right here in 1990, and you know he gets a, gets a good showing against uh one of the hottest guys in the business at this point in time. So hot. We're going to see former, what he does. Former nah, tag, he was never former tag team champion who, Oh yeah, you're right. You're right. With Valentine. You're yeah. right. Yeah. Good call. Tony. You're right. I forgot. <laughs> I forgot about the dream team, but now, and you know, and you'd think we'd remember it from WrestleMania too. But anyway, no, speaking been, of the other half, we've been trying to did you segue Re- this? We're trying did to you forget seg- WrestleMania too. <laughs> yeah. Did you segue that on purpose, Tony? Because, Look who we've got in the next match. The Uh, other uh, half uh, of uh, that tag uh, team championship. uh, You're welcome. Greg the Hammer Valentine with Jimmy Hart. Because we make a dream. Dave, we make a dream. We do. We are. We are the bestie dream team. (laughs) Dream team of besties or something. (laughs) Who are these these old guys calling themselves besties? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) For you kids out there listening, you don't have to model yourself after us. (laughs) Rick Rick Martell, you can model yourself after the model, but... The rest of it. Uh, anyway, so we got Greg the Hammer Valentine. He's got Jimmy Hart. Jimmy escaped the Bushwhackers, but he's back here uh, with Greg Valentine. Taking on rugged Ronnie Garvin in a submission match. Now, you've heard we talked about it last time on, on the last chapter where DJ was on with us. Talking about how Valentine Garvin just never really got the steam behind it that you would want. Um, and this is kind of the, the this is kind of the high water or you can say low water mark of this entire rivalry. But the match, I thought it's a good physical match. The fans seem to be pretty invested in the in the match as it goes along. They're not at full throat, but they seem to be into it. They're 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 passionate about who's winning. They've got some emotional investment in rugged Ronnie Garvin, of course. The biggest problem with this match that I had, Tony, is that the guys forget far too often that it's a fucking submission match because they're constantly going for the pinfall. And I mean, I get it. One or twice, once or twice, you forget that this is a submission match, and it's and it and it and it adds credibility to the thing. Oh, I forgot, you know, we pinfalls don't count here, but they overdo the shit out of it in this match. It happens way too often. Go ahead. <laughs> Imagine if you edited this match where there were no pinfall attempts. It'd be a freaking almost masterpiece because 
I like to go to cagematch.net, folks. They have the history and histronics behind everything as far as attendance and place and match times and participants involved and date and city and announcers. It's all there for you. And on top of it, they they almost have something like Rotten Tomatoes does where they have a fan approval thing. And matches that go above five minutes get rated and they only get a number rated on them if they have enough votes so this match is rated over a six which is really good it's kind of like a big time approval like if it was i would say what rated 60 percent on rotten tomatoes that's that's still positive fan score right so that's pretty good for a match of this day and especially the people now who have gone back to vote on this know that no more would you like even attempt a pinfall in a match like that you'd look stupid nowadays you know what i'm saying and I think right. that's more believability as far as the theater of wrestling goes, in my opinion. And, and you're right. We see submission matches all the time now. You, you'd never see anybody going for the pinfall anymore because they know. And and I think, like you're saying, if it had been once, maybe twice, okay, that's fine. We're not used to this type of match. That would have been believable. It's almost like when Savage goes for the pin of Yokozuna in the 93 Royal Rumble. <laughs> it's like, wait, what the fuck are you? We'll get to that a few chapters down the line, and Tony and I can lament why. <sighs> <laughs> Vince but, or Pat? Vince or Pat at yeah, one time in the morning. Somebody, yeah, what were the fuck were you guys saying? Savage of all people? Anyway. Um, anyway, so what we get, Garvin is going to survive the figure four attempt, and he's able to eventually remove Valentine's heartbreaker shin guard, which Valentine masterfully was using this to turn it around to add extra pressure in the figure four leg lock. Really shrewd, heelish. It, dickish sort of way to make the figure four even more menacing. It was my favorite part of the match that that being involved in what was going on in the submissions. Right. And then so Garvin gets the heartbreaker off blast Valentine in the head with it. Garvin then puts Valentine in what I'm going to call the sharpshooter, Tony, even I mean, though fucking Shivani calls it a reverse figure four. It <laughs> it's like, like a sharpshooter. It, it looks like a sharpshooter to me. Uh, you know, Tony calls it a, a reverse figure four. It's like, wait, wait, I guess maybe you could see it that way if he'd stood up and something, or if he was not standing up, but whatever the case is, Valentine quits. Garvin gets the big win with the reverse figure four sharpshooter, whatever the fuck you want to call it. Um, I agree with the fans and, and what you're saying on cagematch.net. This is an excellent match. I, I mean, the only thing wrong with it is that stuff with the pinfall attempts and happening too much, but otherwise, you know, and I, and I, you know, I kind of wish DJ was here. Cause I say, Hey, you know what? We actually did get a good match in this Valentine Garvin feud. And 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 I know we thought that maybe we didn't, but we actually did because this is a damn good match. This is kind of the blow off of this whole thing. Garvin has this is Rugged Ronnie Garvin's signature win. Six His only signature win in WWE. Six point six, actually. So that's even better. That's sixty six. You know, that's closer to how, seventy. How, how long was this one? Sixteen fifty one. Maybe a touch long, but not bad for an I quit match. But that's you take away all those pinfall attempts and we're, we're yeah. done. We're under 15. <laughs> yeah. Hey, Jimmy Hart, yeah. once again. Jimmy Hart, once again. Let's manage your managers on a day where Paul Heyman said, uh, screw him, he's dead to Bobby Heenan Fuck. on first uh, take. Yeah. <laughs> you know what, though? That Bobby Heenan would have laughed at that. He probably would have. Or, I saw or Conrad possibly Thompson did. Posted. Or possibly did. Yeah. I thought Conrad Thompson made an interesting looking emoji on X or whatever the hell you want to call it today about that statement. 
And I did like it. Yeah. When, when, when Heyman says it, even Roman just kind of like, shit. <laughs> but it's okay. That's, Listen, that's Heyman feeding into his persona. Oh, Heyman went hard on, on uh, selling himself there and the legitimacy of what, of who he is in the wrestling business. He's, um, I mean, in a day and age where you don't have, you don't have managers like what we're talking about here. There is no Heenan, Fuji, Jimmy Hart, Slick, Screen Share. You don't have hardly any of that stuff. Heyman is the closest thing we have. And he would, he would, he would be the first one to take this as a compliment in between calling both of us assholes. But he would, I, if I said, Paul, you are the closest thing to an old school manager from the golden era of wrestling, he would say, you're right. I am. Thank you. And fuck off. You know, that would be Paul's response to me. <laughs> and I'd feel, I'd feel privileged to get that from him. I, I think I have him and Bobby as a tie. Yeah, it's, it's tough. I mean, I'm a Paul Heyman guy, Heenan family. You see the similarities. I mean, there's a lot of them. There's things you can take that Paul has done better, but then you can also look at like Bobby kind of creating that trail and all the in-ring that he did and how great of an in-ring performer he was and then promoter side on Paul's side. So as far as doing the on-screen stuff of who they are and what they did, and if you want to put them in a category together, I say tie and give them both an Oscar. I give them something. Yeah, I guess we'll give him something. But uh, yeah, I got no problem with Heyman being <laughs> mentioned in the same breath as Bobby Heenan, alive or dead for that matter. But earlier I mentioned uh, listening to Bruce Pritchard talk about stuff with the respect to this event. And lo and behold, we've got the brother love segment here, Tony, which is going to be a big furtherance of another huge storyline coming into WrestleMania six. In this segment, you've got brother love, you've got Queen Sherry, and you've got sweet Sapphire who we saw her in the stands at, uh, at uh, I think it was, what, Survivor Series 89 not so yes. long ago. And this whole segment is going to devolve pretty quickly, though, because Sapphire's going to slap the taste out of Sherry's mouth. Savage hits the, the set or the ring, I guess is where it is, and he goes after Sapphire, which brings Dusty Rhodes down. Savage definitely gets the best of this uh, brief fight with, with Dusty. Savage and the Queen, then they take off and they allow Dusty. Yeah, I like I like how this happens because this this goes down. Savage definitely gets the best of Dusty in this dust up, we'll call it. And then Savage and Queen Cherry take off and they leave poor Brother Love all to himself. And Dusty and Queen Sapphire, they do a number on Brother Love. And we're off and running to the mat, big match at WrestleMania 6, which will be Dusty and Sapphire versus Sherry and the Macho King Randy Savage in one of the most perplexing outcomes in WrestleMania history, which we will talk about in the second part of this chapter. But um, them using, and we will see this numerous times over the next couple of years, the Brother Love Show being used as a a catalyst of sorts to further storylines. And this is one of those great examples where, you know, Sapphire slapping the shit out of Sherry, uh, and then, man, Savage, you gotta love Macho King. When he hits that ring, just the rage in his eyes about this whole thing. Nobody sold it like Macho Man. And another great example here, and, and getting Big Dust involved. Um, this was done really well, I thought, as far in really putting this feud on the next level. As Tommy Rich would say, Dusty even got the pizza gimmick over when he went up to New York. <laughs> and what a better way to do it than have women fight. And kind of incite the, I mean, like that really catches, not to be sexist or anything, 
but that's what works in professional wrestling, especially back here in the very earliest of 1990s, basically still the 80s, right? The fans, I mean, their heads turn when the women start to fight, and especially when it's not like a match that you're expecting. It's something else that's going on, and it has something else going on between two guys. And talk about two of the most colorful personalities of all time. I mean, Dusty Rhodes gets over said pizza gimmick is easily a, a big fan favorite and macho now not with elizabeth you know is is big time heel and people don't like that so this was perfect perfect for both of these characters i think and if it was nowadays it would be like night one main event yeah exactly you could you could uh, yeah either either the brother love show or just a mixed uh mixed tag team match i mean you could you could slot any of that into night one main event but and, yeah I, when you look at when you look at wrestlemania six and the marquee matches that you get i agree with you this this would if it was a two-night mania and god knows wrestlemania six should have been um then <laughs> hey it started at like that, it started at like three eastern though i think maybe even earlier yeah, they started it early, but I, you know, you're right though. I mean, if you look at a match, it could have been the night one main event. And like you're saying, Savage is a heel. Nobody likes it. Everybody's still, lots of people still want to cheer him, but he's too much of a douche. Besides so Logan and Warrior, there's no one bigger than Savage, right? Oh, no. No. He's nobody. coming off of the title reigns and everything else. Coming off the title reigns, coming off the big feud with Hulk, coming off the team up with Zeus. Um, now you've got him embroiled with. Dusty Rhodes, which is going to help Dusty get over in WWE, WWF at the time, as much as anything. I mean, right. whether you think that, whether you think he got over or not, because you're pissed off that he wore polka dots, and we've oh, talked about this before. No, no, yeah, and that's a, that's just a kind of a thing that you know. <laughs> Listen, even yeah, Tom, Tommy Rich even brings it up, so you know. Yeah, if, and if Tommy Rich thinks that Dusty got over in WWE, then he probably did, and you internet trolls just go away. Right, but. Yeah, this is this is a big moment as far as getting these guys on the path, and and you know we'll we will see some more. We're not done with Dusty and and Randy Savage yet. So, um, the last match on the undercard is the Big Boss Man with Slick taking on Hacksaw Jim Duggan. <clears throat> so Duggan's involved in the match, so we know that the first Royal Rumble winner is not going to win this year's Royal Rumble. Oh well. Um, now I thought this is a how long was this match? This match was about eight minutes too long because it was 10 minutes and 22 seconds. So it's surprisingly long. I thought as far as far as matches go, no, not so great. As far as brawls go, it was pretty good because these guys beat the shit out of each other. Um, Go ahead and go ahead and go ahead and tell the story of the match and the finish and then I'll make. Well, unfortunately, the boss man gets caught using his nightstick on Hacksaw Jim Duggan. He gets disqualified. But where there's Hacksaw, death taxes hacksaw jim duggan using a two by four right i mean that's where we are here's my thing then why didn't they have a super brawl for two minutes the ref gets bumped gets up to see big boss man using it and then have six seven more minutes of you know two by four nightstick warfare which they could have done really well with slick instead i gotta sit here for watch this match for like eight nine minutes get the fuck out of here no way well, yeah, you raise a good point because all they did was beat on each other, and there weren't. There's no wrestling going on. It's like, just a fight. Nowadays, that's how this match would have happened on a pay per view. There would have been significantly more time dedicated to the post match uh, brawl with the weapons and how that got started with a really quick, you know, aggressive fight. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And 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 this one just too much time on the match. The aftermath, of course, is Duggan attacking both uh, Boss Man and Slick with the two by four. And that's it. Two super over characters at the time, though. Like, 
Jim they, Duggan they whole over Big Boss Man whole gimmick over Despised. big time. Like, yeah, like huge, huge over. Yeah, Boss Man, people still remember all the shit with him and Hulk and Savage and Elizabeth from a year earlier. So Boss Man's still despised by everybody. Duggan's still very he's, over. He's a guy that could have maybe won the world title. Who, Boss Man? Yeah. Yeah, and, and you thought for a while maybe could you he imagine could if, pull it off. Like, if Heenan would have managed him against Hogan, I like, I think that could have worked. Hmm. Yeah, that would have been fun. And said he got stuck with Slick. But, I mean, not, not to degrade slick too no, much i'm just but, saying that's the, the where they lived you know i can't right. help it we're not, I'm just, we're not that's just his, slick. this is just history folks i'm not like yeah. discerning we're slick tony and i are not putting slick in the same category of managerial talent as say bobby heenan no. or paul Heyman. and i don't think a lot of people would but but he had better swag than both of them combined so there you go well it's debatable it's debatable <laughs> Uh, and that, that my friends is the end of the undercard, which I thought as far as, you know, early rumble cards go, this was pretty good. I mean, nothing too constant. Well, I take that back. We did have consequential stuff. Perfect involved the brother love thing. There's no titles changing hand. There's no titles even on the line. That's okay. There was a dark match. Was there? What was the dark match? Paul Roma defeats the Brooklyn brawler in six minutes. Holy fuck. That's five minutes too long for Paul Roma and the Brooklyn (laughs) brawler. I bet you that match was better than like. All but one match on the card. <laughs> I mean, I'm just got glad Paul Roma's still around at this point in time. Uh, and and you know, the Brooklyn Brawler is uh whew, man, not not the best win loss record of all time. He he made it to Milwaukee. I remember he opened the show. Oh nice. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah, I actually got to see I got to see him a few times. Steve Lombardi. I good guy. He lost to Brutus. He lost to Brutus. And his hair was too short to get cut, so No, you know, he didn't he just, just ran out and booed him and <laughs> Well, Tony, you ready to get to the Royal Rumble, man? It, it, it is. I think it is time to get to the highlight of this first part of um, of the festivities here on Chapter Seven of the Big Four Project. So let's talk the Royal Rumble match. We'll talk entries, orders of elimination. We will get to that part in the middle where the highlight of the entire match and one of the early, I mean, actually, it's one of the most iconic moments still to this day in Royal Rumble history, right? I would say. I mean, a very big foreshadowing of things to come. Exactly. So we start off, number one is Ted DiBiase. Now, DiBiase is going to go on a run in this match, and he's going to set the longevity record. Uh, I forget what it is, 44, 45 minutes, something like that. So he's going to be in there for a while. Coco Beware comes in at number two. DiBiase is going to backdrop Coco Beware right out of the match, so he's gone. DiBiase looking good. Marty Jannetty comes in at number three. DiBiase ducks under Janetti, flying at him. Janetti flies over the top rope, eliminating himself. Well done, party. That's how it's done. Uh, number, <laughs> that's that's how you roll, baby. Uh, the first big moment of Royal Rumble 1990 happens because Jake Roberts uh, comes in. Now, Jake, I believe this is the point after Jake has been blinded by DiBiase because that's another match that we're moving towards at WrestleMania 6 is Jake versus DiBiase. I think this is after. Um, or no, he didn't blind him. That's the model. DiBiase puts him that million dollar dream and damages neck and Jake's out for a few months. I think he wasn't even involved in, was he involved in survivor series? I don't remember, but anyway, this is part of the furtherance of this DiBiase, uh, injures Jake, the snake Roberts. He comes back. It's the first big moment of the rumble. Cause you got Jake and DiBiase and it's not looking good for Jake until macho man, Ran- macho King, Randy Savage hits the ring at number five. Ooh, yeah. Now, we're only what 
a year or so, not even two years removed from Savage beating DiBiase in the main event of WrestleMania four for the championship and feuding with him for six months. And here they're like us, Tony, they're besties, you know, Randy Savage and Ted DiBiase are besties and it's not looking good for Jake until Rowdy Roddy Piper shows up. And I got to say six people, six guys in, and the Royal Rumble is on fire already at this point. No, a lot of firepower to start this off. And why not? Because you've just gone through a whole big card here, right? And that's why these things get mixed in nowadays. But back then, it's the main event, and you got to start it off on fire. You can't be having people lulling through this until like the last, you know, six, seven spots. You got to give them something to get them going and something in the middle. And I think they that's what they did great here. Dude, I mean, just think about the four guys in the ring right now. Hall of Famers, right. all of them, or at oh, least they I damn mean, should be. Yeah, DiBiase, top 20 Jake all the Snake time. Roberts, Savage Piper. Top 50 all time. Oh, easy. Yeah, at, at top 20, maybe. You could even make an argument for top 20. Well, it's, Jake. I don't know if I put well, Jake yeah, in 20. Yeah. Um, number seven is Warlord. He comes in the ring. Now, number eight is Bret the Hitman Hart. Now, this is still a couple years removed or a couple years away from Bret Hart sure. making that big singles run. But still, he does he does really well in this match, I thought, as far as just the stuff he was doing in the match itself. You know, maybe not performance-wise, well, but he's, he's effective. He's a guy at this point they know they can trust to carry the action in the Rumble um, for a period of time. And that's exactly what you brought up and what he does. And that's what they trust him as right now. Exactly, exactly. And, and and Brett does that role very well. Number nine is Bad News Brown. You know, the team player that he is at the Survivor Series. This is the, <laughs> sarcastic. Uh, this is perfect. Bad, th- this is the perfect match for Bad News. He doesn't have to be a team player. He can just be a dick to everybody. You think this is a match that's tailor-made for Bad News Brown. At this point, Jake sets up Ted DiBiase for the DDT. However, Macho King is going to clothesline Jake over the top rope and out of the match. And that's it for Jake Roberts, foreshadowing Savage and Jake a few years down the line where everything gets reversed and there's a Cobra involved. So we will well, get yeah. to that yeah. eventually. Randy made him have the snake bite him first before they went out. I think. Yeah, well, you know, Randy, Randy's that kind of guy. Ooh, brother, bite your own fucking ass with that snake before you put it on me, bitch. So yeah. he wanted to make sure that the venom was out. Yeah, I gotta make sure that it's safe. Yeah. Anyway. Have uh, it bite Elizabeth. Uh, yeah, get it away from my wife. Yeah. Bite her right on uh, the ass. Uh, dead ass. Ooh, damn, look at that ass. Uh, anyway, so we, ta- we foreshadowed it earlier. Uh, with Savage and Dusty Rhodes in the Brother Love segment. Sure enough, Dusty Rhodes comes in at number 10. Um, Savage runs at Dusty. Dusty backdrops him out of the match. So there you go. Randy Macho King Savage eliminated by Dusty Rhodes, furthering that whole situation. Now, number 11 is Andre the Giant. Now, I think by this point in time, the Colossal Connection are the tag champs having to throw in demolition. I think, if I remember correctly, I might be wrong about that, but I'm pretty sure that... Tony will look it up, but I'm pretty sure by this time, Andre and Haku are the tag champions. Um, this is fun. And, and as big a guy as the warlord is and as broken down as Andre is warlord tries to go after Andre who quickly <laughs> tosses warlord right out of the match. Um, Fuji and, and Bobby Fu- or excuse me. And we talked about people at ringside. Miss, this is an interesting little d- thing going on here. Mr. Fuji and Bobby Heenan get into it at ringside when this happens. And you don't usually get, they are tag champs at this point in time. Tony's confirmed. They'll go on to face demolition at WrestleMania. That's right. That's right. And that's where Andre is going to have the big turn back to the light side of the force. But um, I, I found 
in this Rumble match, there's interesting stuff going on. You don't normally see what we're going to see with Hogan and Warrior later on. You don't normally see the heel managers getting into it with each other. But Fuji and Heenan get into it with each other at ringside after after Andre basically makes Warlord his bitch. But then again, everybody makes Warlord their bitch in the Royal Rumble, right? Wow. 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 There's a title. <laughs> Warlord's a bitch. Too bad. Too uh, bad it's chapter whatever. Yeah. <laughs> um, Red Rooster comes in at number 12. At this point in time, Piper dumps Bad News Brown out of the match. Bad News is going to grab Roddy, drag him over the top rope. The two guys brawl all the way to the back, setting in motion their uh, feud and their uh, match at WrestleMania 6, yeah. which you will not see on the cock because reasons. Yeah. Yeah. And black, yeah, black face on half your body is a sure way to get knocked off the cock. Did that come out wrong? That kind of came out wrong. I remember, like, I was... I was not even nine. I was almost nine years old at WrestleMania six. And I remember him coming out and thinking, and I, and this is like still like 1990. This is a long time ago. And I'm not even nine. And I remember thinking, that's, I don't think that's right. Hot Rod and Hot Scott. That's what Roddy Piper like, will call himself. I'm like, I don't think that's right. I'm like, I'm, I'm like, I'm, I'm like, I wonder if Bad News Brown knew about this and how angry he is right now. He was not. I, I've heard the stories that he was not that happy about the whole thing. Um, and it's it's banned from from the cock for a good reason. And we'll we'll touch on it in the next when we get to WrestleMania six in the next, next chapter. We'll let you guys know what happened. You're not missing much. We'll put it that way. No. Well, there wasn't. Yeah. Like there he Brad News Brown wasn't really willing to go ahead and have a five star match at this point. No, he wasn't, and and it's and it's not even a five star brawl. But anyway, uh, Piper and Bad News they brawl to the back. Axe of Demolition comes in at number thirteen, so we got he we got him in there. Andre quickly eliminates the Red Rooster. Uh, speaking of another wrestler who's just a bitch for other people, it's the Red Rooster. Uh, I, I think you know we could have had the dream match: Red Rooster against Warlord. That would have been kind of you know, which of the year match or something maybe. No, thank you. No. No, <laughs> at number 14 is Haku. So you've got the tag champions in there at number 15 is smash. So no, nah, this wasn't scripted in any way. So you've got, you've got the tag champs in there against the number one contenders. Okay. Akeem comes in at number 16. The African dream is in there. Demolition is then going to combine to clothesline Andre over the top rope. Um, sort of, I, I think I, this counts as an elimination, but it really wasn't that, um, clean of an elimination if you want to put it it's going to count though they andre eliminate andre the giant andre just didn't, didn't do his best to sell that one no and i don't think he was trying to um just prior to that though a back elbow from dusty Rhodes eliminates the hitman so there's an interesting elimination and there you go so dusty Rhodes eliminates bret hart demolition gets rid of one of the biggest threats in the match was andre the giant furthering that whole thing between demolition and the colossal connection at number 17 is the super fly jimmy snooker he comes in he hits a key with a flying head button and eliminates the african dream pretty quickly so hey it's elimination for the super fly tony that's that's uh, that's something it's all love dino bravo dino bravo's at 18 he still hasn't been gunned down in his house yet so that's 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 wow. encouraging that's, that's a like, good th- that's dark dave <laughs> God, it's, I know it's dark side of the uh, dark side of the dark big side four of the here. Dave, <laughs> but poor Dino Bravo. Anyway, uh, number 19 is, I think he's still the Canadian earthquake at this time, isn't he? It's not just earthquake. I think he's still flaunting yeah, he's the Canadian still, part yeah, he's of this. He's still associated with Dino Bravo. 
Yeah. So you get Bravo and Earthquake coming in. Earthquake's going to hit Dusty with a clothesline from behind and eliminates him. And it, yeah, it, I, I got it in my notes here. The Canadian Earthquake. Yes. Here's my notes, Tony. Yes. He was still Canadian at this time. <laughs> so I'm trying to remind myself of this. Earth, yeah, he for, then, for, for one bonus point, the points don't matter. Can you name me the real name of Earthquake? John Tenta. There we go. Ring the bell. So Let me find a bell. Where's, where's DP when you I need him? a bell. Here. Sexy. Makes me feel tingly inside. Oh, boy. <laughs> Let's keep moving. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Um, at this point, Canadian Earthquake is then going to power axe over the top rope, and one half of demolition is gone. Jim the Anvil Nightheart comes in at number 20, um, and then everybody except Dino Bravo, of course, will combine to get rid of the Canadian Earthquake, and that is it for him. At number 21, here's where things start to pick up. The Ultimate Warrior, who is the Intercontinental Champion, he hits the ring, a huge pop is kind of an understatement, right, Tony? I mean, yeah, he's getting, I wouldn't say road warrior pops at this point, but we're approaching it at a decent level, even though we're not there. Say if that's, you know, seventh heaven is a road warrior pop. We're sitting above uh, a five right now, approaching six. Probably, probably a six, yeah, at this point six, in time. Yeah. Warrior hits the ring, huge pop, ducks under a chop by Dino Bravo and eliminates him. So he's gone. Warrior's actually going to get, like, I think the most eliminations in this match. But anyway, as we roll on, number 22 is Rick Martell. Um, Haku is going to catch Smash with his thrust kick as Smash stands on the ring apron and he eliminates him. Um, again, showing some of the problems with it. It's, it's like, this is a little too scripted, guys. Uh, Tito Santana comes in at number 23 right after Martell. Go figure. But listen, we talked about this as we started this episode, right? This chapter, this part of this chapter, um, that they know what they have and they used it. They used it to set up the entire WrestleMania card, really. Yeah. I yeah. mean, like, this is the first time they actually did it. They went, wow, look what we can do because people are just going to watch superstars and maybe a main event and maybe a Tuesday night something or other. It was still going on, but that was it. That was it. This was it. This yeah, was this was exactly. like this is basically the raw before mania at this point. <laughs> That's true. They're, you're right. They and 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 it's not like the first rumble where it was only 20 men and half of them, half of the really good guys were over across they, the country. They saved everybody who was going to be on the WrestleMania card and all their big matches, and they told all those stories and began them right here, or at least moved them on to get to that point right here. Yeah, you raise a good point, and it's I, a I really mean, I'm just good saying, rumble. It's a great it, rumble. I'd say it, it is. It's what would you guess it scores on cage match for this? I would hope it'd be at least like a, what did I, what am I going to give it? I'm looking and see oh, big time. Um, I'd hopefully like at least a seven, seven so, and a half. So since I compare it to rotten tomatoes, I'll always convert their number out of 10 into a percentile. So 72.3%. That's about right. It gets I'd a 7.23 rating out of 10 over. And we will see what Tunney's going to give it in a few minutes as well, along with what I'm going to give it. But no, I was just saying it's kind of, it, to me, it's like, okay, we're getting this booking where you've got, eh, but you're right. It makes sense. Let's keep the rivalries going. Let's book these guys consecutively to come in. It just makes more sense. It, it, it amps the drama. It keeps the drama going. And right now at this point in the match, there's a lot of drama about to, already happening and it's going to amp up. Honky Tonk Man comes in at number 24, Tony. At this point, DiBiase, Ultimate Warrior, Rick Martel, they all combine to eliminate the anvil. Warrior is then going to catch DiBiase with a big clothesline. Ted DiBiase is still in the match at this point. Warrior is going to catch him with a big clothesline. 
finally eliminates the million dollar man at this point. What is he in there for? Does it say 44 minutes or something like that, right? Uh, I don't I don't have that on cage match. It doesn't have that. I wish it. Oh, wait, it does. Um, no, it's not going to tell me. It's not going to tell me. The whole thing went 58 minutes, so there isn't much time left. So I would say it's probably right around there. Yeah, I'm. Let me. I'm gonna try and look real quick here. I got um, it. Keep going. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I mean, because we're about to get to the part where we're gonna actually do a little bit of a baby watch along here. But before we get to that part, um, yeah, because I'm just trying to figure out. DiBiase set a longevity record at this point in time. And let's see, where is it? Uh, Preliminaries. We don't care about that. We care about the Royal Rumble. Uh, the main event. Go to Wikipedia. So probably have it. Yeah, that's where I'm at right now. But I, I, it's I think not it's even like top 40... 18 anymore. I can tell you that. Right. At the time, um, though. 44 minutes and 47 seconds. Can I tell you DBS what? The, br- can I tell you the 18th longest time right now as of? Oh, when was this article? As of January of 2023, the 18th longest time was 52 minutes. Oh my God. That's crazy. The women, the women's think, rumble and everything. But you know, it, it's it's significant because um, Perfect had the longevity record from. The previous year, he'd been in the longest. Um, and, and DiBiase, because he came in at number one, nearly 45 minutes, which, which you know, when and you're looking at these first few rumbles and you're thinking to yourself, wow, that, that is, that's pretty damn long um, at this point in time where you, you just, and you didn't really know. And that WWE at this point, He's, WWF, hadn't really played a lot with this whole, let's let these guys run the table. His record here is like the guy before Kobayashi and then Flair's Kobayashi and then who be, whoever beat Flair, Michaels or Mysterio, they're Joey Chestnut. <laughs> didn't Gunther set the record this year, didn't he? Did he? I don't know. They keep think, passing that thing did. around. They, they but, just, for a long like time, but for a long time, it was DiBiase, now then Flair, very next year, you know. But then after that, it was a long time until someone beat the hour mark. I think it was Sean. And then Ray beat right. him, and then it was all bets off. Right. So anyway, like like we're saying, Warrior eliminates DiBiase after 44 minutes and 47 seconds. And, you know, and the crowd's white hot at this point in time because everything's been going on. Warrior's just gotten rid of DiBiase, who the fans despise. And the people are starting to worry, God, is this guy going to run the fucking table? Warrior eliminates him. That brings us to number 25. And that brings us to the point of this where we are going to do a little bit of a watch along, Tony, uh, and, and see what we can come up with. Are, are you ready to go on this thing? Ready, Freddy. Tony's ready. Tony's ready. So we're going to play this, and this is going to lead for the next few minutes. Then Tony and I will come on and wrap this thing up. But at this point, we're right after the point. We're at number 25 the WWE champion, WWF, WWF champion at that point in time, excuse me, Hulk Hogan has entered the match. Hogan and Warrior in the ring together. Hogan in at 25. Hulk gets a huge pop. Let's go ahead and listen in what happens here. So there's Hulk eliminates Snooker with the clothesline. There goes Snooker. Hogan's winding up on Haku. Yep. Chop. Punch. I mean, he's on Shit, fire right now. Shit, take his shirt off, Gunny. No, not even yet. The crowd's going crazy. Whips him across into the turnbuckle. Big back elbow. I think he's about ready to get rid of Haku here. There's a boot. Haku's gone. The boot, baby, gone. The crowd's going nuts. On the other side of the ring, Warriors working on the Tonkster. There's a nice... 
Mark model, model Santana Tito. trying to get her in the ring. Yeah, big, big atomic uh, uh, drop. Atomic drop. Yeah, it's been a long time since I called it atomic drop. Hogan trying to get rid of the Tonkster. Oh, here, oh. Come, here comes the shirt. There we go. The crowd All right, Martel and Santana are locked up, and Warrior's going to help Santana out of the map. So he's gone. Good night, sir. Adios, senor. So there's four guys in right now. Martel and Warrior on one side. Hogan Honky on the other. Big eye rake by the Warrior. John Michael comes, comes in at Sean. 26. He doesn't last long here, does he? No. It's 15 seconds or something. Hulk gets rid of Honky. Now, here we go. Warrior's going to grab Sean. Get the fuck out of here. He grabs Martel. Martel and here Martel's like, no way I'm going out before Sean. And now he's gone. And here it is. Hogan's staring at Warrior. Warrior hasn't even turned to look at Hogan yet, but the place is going crazy. Now they lock eyes. Barely any face paint left on Warrior. Yeah. And there's Heenan in at ringside. Yeah, there's definitely, you know, sentinels out there reporting back Interest. what's going on. I want a first hand with sides. And it's nuts. Here we go. Shoulder block. Oh, no. No one's having it. The, no one's selling shit. The irresistible force meets the immovable object. And now it, th th that has changed. Look at Hulk doing a doing a drop down Hogan's now the immovable object and, and Warrior's the irresistible oh. force isn't just a massive though? double clothesline isn't that crazy though because that was the opposite when it was Hogan and Andre right 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 so that's our that's our baby watch along there one of the most iconic moments in Rumble history uh, kind of breaking that down a little bit with you know you guys heard what was happening in the background yeah, I mean, you've got this moment where the two biggest stars in WWE right now, the two most popular, and you got to see it happen. You saw the crowd reaction, the explosion of the crowd. Um, Vince not really, you know, wondering how are people going to react to this. You know, like we're saying, Heenan's at ringside, Fuji's at ringside. They're all kind of watching what's going on to let Vince know, hey, this is what I felt in the arena when these guys were going, yes, you have something here. You should run with this thing. Um, they and, and I thought what they did was just brilliant in this moment. They didn't give away anything other than teasing these two guys in the ring together, and the crowd lost their shit. And you know, you got to see two guys even nothing really happens, shoulder blocking each other. They're down. They're not out. You know, at this point, they're not out of this whole thing. Um, and as they're down after this big showdown, the barbarian hits the ring right. After Warrior and Hogan double clothesline each other, and you know, at this point in time, ravishing Rick Rude is going to hit the ring, and he gets he goes in the ring. It's like ten seconds early. I think he comes into the match like yeah, ten like seconds the, early. They, the the clock starts as he's like five feet from the ring. <laughs> right, he goes right after Warrior. No love lost there between these two guys. Can you can you imagine what happened in the back? They're like, all right, Rick, you're up in uh, ten seconds, and it, Rick, no, uh, he went. He went. No, he's going. Yeah, I see him now. Hit the clock. <laughs> and to his credit, I'm sure Ravishing Rick Rude could feel the energy coming all the way from the ring into the back. He's like, I'm getting in this no, fucking it's a thing. Big, I, huge I, spot, right? There. Yeah, and and so Rude gets in the ring. Rude and Barbarian have uh, Warrior. They've got Warrior draped across the top rope. Hogan clotheslines them both from behind. 
eliminating Warrior in the process. So technically, Hulk Hogan does eliminate the Ultimate Warrior from the 1990 Royal Rumble. At number 29 is the Mighty Hercules. And then at number 30 is Mr. Perfect. So we've got everybody into the match right now. Um, Hercules is going to backdrop Barbarian out of the match. Perfect is then going to hit Hercules with a drop kick. And Rude is going to follow that up with an immediate clothesline as the, um, the, the two guys from Minnesota in this match. It's Perfect and Ravishing Rick Rude, a very formidable tag team. Had the Heenan family ever gone in that direction, they really don't. But you kind of get to see them team up here, and it's like, man, that is a that is a hell of a of a duo to deal with. They get rid of Hercules, and so basically, right now, it's Rick Rude, Mister Perfect versus Hulk Hogan. Got you got to say it's got it's looking good for the heels, right? The well, Heenan family's going to get. And it's funny what happens next, though. Yes, exactly. It, it is kind of funny. So Rude accidentally nails Perfect with a forearm. Um, sending Perfect to the ring apron. As Perfect gets back into the ring, though, Hogan whips Rude to the ropes. Perfect grabs onto the top rope to get back in. He accidentally low bridges Ravishing Rick Rude out of the match, and there you go. So just that quickly, there the two-on-one yeah, turns. And, yeah, you got it. Sorry. <laughs> yeah, it, it, it's an advantage that they gets wasted. And then it's down to Mr. Perfect and Hulk Hogan. And like we said, we've seen these guys at house shows. And I've heard some people, I think Bruce Pritchard was the one saying that this was kind of the blow off to a perfect Hogan, perfect versus Hogan feud that really the nation never got to see. It was just people like us at house shows got to see this. Uh, Perfect, though. And okay, let's 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 talk about this. We talked earlier and we talked and we kind of made loose reference to Macho Man Randy Savage going for a pinfall on Yokozuna in the 93 Royal Rumble. Uh, rugged Ronnie Garvin, Greg Valentine going for pinfalls in a submission match. <sighs> perfect inexplicably goes for the perfect plex here, Tony. Um, Hulk Hulk's up. <laughs> just like you should, to... you should hit it and like try and roll it into like another one and I another one and then let it go it, and then pick them up and throw them out. But like, yeah, why do, the way he held a, it, why did he hold it? Right. And it's a move that doesn't make a lot of sense in this type of match because it's not. Like you're saying, sure, it could weaken somebody up to the point where you can get him out, but it's not the type of impact move that's going to lead directly into an elimination. And, yeah, Hulk kicks out of this thing, slingshots Perfect into the post, and then tosses Perfect out as the WWF champion wins the Royal Rumble. Hulk Hogan gets the first of his back-to-back Royal Rumble wins, and the Rumble is over with Hulk standing triumphant. You know, quibbles aside about the ending and the perfect plex. Um, this is clearly a, a mammoth step up in match quality from the year before. Um, you've got it didn't feel anticlimactic at all. You've got one of the most iconic moments in WWE history in Royal Rumble history that happens in this match. You've got the end is like it's not Big John Stud fighting off fucking DiBiase with Virgil trying to buy him off. This is consequential. There's big things that have happened in this match. I'll go first since we know a cage match and those guys have done it. I'm giving this an eight and a half out of ten, Tony. This is one of my wow. favorite rumbles of all time. It's an iconic rumble match. It, the under undercard matches are really good as well. Um, this is this Royal Rumble is the first one I can really look at to say this is the first one to truly remember. I mean, the first one, yeah. The second one, there's elements of those that make it memorable. This is the first truly great Royal Rumble match that I can think of. Yeah, I mean, it is Rumble matches go. Yeah, I mean, it's it's seven and a half, eight. The card, though, only has one match that's like 
over a five out of ten, really. I mean, maybe two. I'll I'll be generous and I'll go six point two five. That point two five is the generosity. I guess my actual thing is I give it a six overall with everything included. But even though saying that that Ronnie Garvin Greg Greg uh Greg Valentine match was really good and the Rumble was really good, um, just considering storylines. Um, but overall, I think. Tony's turning into the East German judge over here, folks. Just wait till the attitude era. Everything's a nine. Everything's a nine. (laughs) Um, After the match is done, I think what what we end up getting, the fans, of course, Vince saw what happened. Heenan reported back. Fuji reported back. Oh, there's like 10 referees. Like, you don't need that many referees. They're all reporting to Vince what they felt in the arena. And at that point, it becomes evident that, okay, we are going to go. And and you got to remember also, this is a time when face versus face never happened. They did not do this back well, right. in 1990. What was bigger? Like we started with this. Was it, was warrior big enough as a face to maintain it built with Andre or was the negative reaction enough with Kurt doing the program with Hogan and they were testing both sides and we brought that up and that's why it's so important and why we talked about it. And in the end, like you said, like you pointed out all these people extra around the ring, the consensus was we can finally do face for Exactly. And I think, you know, the reaction that they got was, and I don't know what Heenan told him, but I would say he probably said it was electric. There were equal amounts of fans rooting for both of them. You're going to get that sort of reaction in, in, in Skydome. Um, this is something that, yes, it's face versus face, but it's not a situation where you ruin one for the expense of the other. They're both equally sustainable. They both have their own fan bases. Nobody hates the other one. The fans who people who love one don't hate the other. They're just rooting for their favorite. Vince sees that runs with it. They have like, I think it's a match like um, on Saturday night's main event, like a couple weeks later where it's Hogan and warrior teaming up against, I think it's against earthquake and Bravo. This whole um, thing was built on respect and it ended. It with, was, you know, it's, it's all the whole, all the way through is respect. Right. And there's a tag match that happens where I think warriors fighting off like, it's either perfect in the genius or it could have been, I don't remember. I'd have to look at it. It's, it's either perfect in the genius or earthquake and, and, and Bravo. And maybe I'm mixing it up, but I know warrior clears the ring. Hulk tries to grab him from behind to calm him down. Warrior doesn't realize it's Hulk behind him. He clotheslines Hulk down. I think it happens week, both ways though. In the, in the course. Yeah. But whatever happens one week later, Hulk challenges warrior to the ultimate challenge title for title. Everything's on the line in Skydome. The match is set. We're off to the ultimate challenge. WrestleMania six is the main event with Hulk Hogan and the ultimate warrior. Like you said, it's a, it's built on respect and the promos that lead into WrestleMania six are some of the crazy. I mean, they're great, but they're crazy. The warrior loading up the ship with the rocket fuel, Hulk Hogan talking, Hulk Hogan doing the Hulk Hogan thing. Warrior kind of playing into, you know, you're scared of my fans. We're not trying to do you any sort of harm Hulk. I'm just trying to lead my fans and my warriors into places that you won't, you're not willing to go. Um, and off we go to one of the most iconic matches in WrestleMania history. How big of a factor do you think is that they use the Royal Rumble appropriately and they found out it was the appropriate way to do it, considering that it had been three years since they had to sell 70,000 tickets? You know, this is 67,000 plus that you got up in the Sky Dome. And, and I know they thought Canada would deliver. And I know they thought they had a lot of hot things going on. I think it's why Dusty was there. 
I think it's why a lot of people were involved in what they were involved with because you got to put on a big show to get 67,000 plus people to show up for something. This is 1990. This is only the sixth WrestleMania. One and two didn't do a ton. They did 20 at every place they were at. Three did its thing, and four and five were 20. Trump Plaza. Were like 22.5-ish. Now you're going back up to 70. Right. You need need that that big marquee match. Um, I think the Rumble helped Vince realize, what's the match I can put in there? Okay, this works. Do you think if they were just going to a 20-pluser, they would have thought, Maybe perfect was better, but since it was seventy thousand, it's got to be Warrior. Yeah, I'd say conversely. Think about if they'd done Warrior versus Hulk in a twenty thousand. I mean, it, it's like not you could have waited. Match, is you could have waited and had like Kurt and them first or whatever. I just like just it's just something fun to think about. That's not what happened. It's 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 just something right. fun. Yeah, and I think I think it's a good point though. You look at, I, I think about it. Hulk versus Perfect. We saw that house shows. It's not a match that I can envision in in a in a sold out Sky Dome as being that match. I mean, they would have had to do something really dramatic with Perfect leading into that to get him to the point where, yeah, this will work. Whereas Warrior just kind of sold itself, and you got to see it in this match, just the way that twenty thousand people were so invested in it, and you got to see all the polarizing stuff going on and how different it was. And boom, we got Sky Dome. Um, yeah, I think if you did Hogan Warrior at like Trump Plaza, it's no, not the same match no, at all. Not at all. I agree. Um, so, yeah, that's going to do it for this first part of Chapter 7 of the Big Four Project. Honey and I have reviewed the Royal Rumble 1990. When we come back from the commercial break, it's WrestleMania 6, the ultimate challenge. And we're going to run down a very bloated card that has some good stuff. It's got some bad stuff. And then, of course, you will hear, we're not sure how many people will be here yet. <laughs> but we're going to have the watch along for the main event of WrestleMania six Hulk Hogan, ultimate warrior, the ultimate challenge. It's all on the right, ri- all on the line. Tony, before I let you go, let people know where they can check you out on the social media. Your, what is your ex profile? Oh, my goodness. My goodness. I know. Um, Jesus. Let's say X Insta threads and Facebook at PC Tony. How about that? But more importantly, ChairShot Radio Network on all of your favorite streaming platforms. In addition, TheChairShot.com, the best coverage writer. If you miss something and you like to go ahead and read about it, and in a really cool way, go to TheChairShot.com and check out Stephen Mitchell's coverage of Raw, SmackDown, AEW Collision, and Dynamite, and Andrew Belaz's coverage of Impact. That's where we're going to kick you in the balls, and you're going to like it. Also, ProWrestlingTees.com slash TheChairShot. Kick in the balls and you're going to like it. You only get that kind of stuff from PC Tunny, folks. I- I'm telling you right now. X marks the spot and we're going to kick you in the nuts. Tunny, I know you're going to be here for the second part of this, but thank you for uh, running through Royal Rumble 1990 with me. Good stuff. We'll be back after this commercial break with the coverage of WrestleMania 6 right here. Big Ford Project, Chapter 7 on the Attitude of Aggression. All right, brother. Remember the brother, we're clear. Yeah, that was a lot more fun than uh, the last one. <laughs> Promotional consideration paid for by the following. Hey folks, PC Tony here. Thanks to our new partnership with Angry Lemonade, you can save 10% on physical products and digital commissions using the promo code CHAIRSHOT. Head to angrylemonade.net to check out their amazing catalog of products and services. Use the promo code CHAIRSHOT to save 10%. That's angrylemonade.net. All right, welcome back to Chapter 7 
Big Four Project. Actually, this is part two. Chapter 7, Subdivision 2, Article 4. I don't know. It sounds like a little fucking document to me. Hot Shots Part 2. Yeah, there you go. Exactly. Airplane 2, the sequel. Uh, yeah, anyhow. Surely. Surely it is. Surely it is. And don't call me Shirley, but it is. It is, it is Part 2 of Chapter 7. We are moving on from Royal Rumble 1990 to WrestleMania 6. PC Tunney has been waiting for this for a very long time. It is finally here. But we grabbed somebody and brought him along with us for this second part to hopefully stick around for all of it. We'll see how this works out. Welcoming back to the Attitude of Aggression Wrestling Podcast and the Big Four Project, the one and only DJ from the Mindless Wrestling Podcast. DJ, how you doing, brother? You ready to talk some Ultimate Challenge? We're loading up the rocket ship. We're getting ready to go. I am awesome, stoked, and thanks for having me here tonight. Absolutely. He's almost an official member of the Big Four podcast. I mean, he's on more than anybody else. I think we... And and I mean everybody else on Chairshot Radio Network. Dave and I like you better than everybody else. And, and well, I appreciate that. I like know, coming on here. These and we fun. know Ray won't come on until around 1997, 98. Yeah. So that's yeah. Hopefully he brings Crystal Ball with him, but I, well, no big deal. We, hey, it's like, I, I my, we hate everybody. We love DJ, and Ray is 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 pretty good. My claim that's to fame it. is I convinced Ray to watch WrestleMania one and two, and he probably hasn't recovered yet. I, but not Flash Gordon. Uh, the, these Flash these Gordon. Attitude Era kids, they think wrestling started in like 1999. That's true. Like right? nothing existed pre-99, 98-99 with these guys. That is very true. And as we are here to prove to them, that's not true. Because we've got we're some great stuff happening. What's that? We're here to prove to you we're old. That's right. Especially DJ and I, we we are the elder statesmen of this whole shebang. And and we lived through this. We lived through this event. I mean, I remember WrestleMania 6 unbelievably well. And a lot of people went through the same stuff that I think DJ and I, I don't know about you, DJ. I had like a house full of people watching this fucking main event downstairs. Half of them rooting for Hulk. Half of them rooting for the Warrior. You know, when it's all over, half the room is ecstatic and the other half's like, what just happened? I don't know what your experience was. Uh, for me, it was a family thing. It was me, my two younger brothers, my dad and my mom. That was it. We, we were a wrestling family growing up. And, you know, my dad was never a huge WWE fan. He liked WCW, NWA. He watched um, WWE with us kids. He took us to the house shows and things like that, mainly because it was like a family thing to do. Tony, did you actually watch this event live, or is this something you kind of backfilled later on? This was the very first pay-per-view my dad let me get. Oh, oh wow. That is awesome. I was a big fan since I don't even know when. No one introduced it to me. I found it on television, and I loved it. And we had cable when I was even little, so TBS, too, on, on Saturdays, right? So I was getting that as well. Tuesdays, I think I remember seeing WWE. I think USA Network had like Tuesday night, whatever. Tuesday night Titans. Yep. So like I'd wait for my dad to fall asleep so I could turn wrestling on. Um, But yeah, this was the first pay-per-view I had. My dad invited his buddy over who was like an uncle to me and he had two kids and his wife actually loved it. And then I had three of the neighborhood kids over. And as my dad describes it, we all watched the pay-per-view and the seven of you kids have your own matches at the same time in the middle of the living room. (laughs) That's awesome. That is what kids do. 
Uh, we were, we were, what is this, 1990? So I'm like 22 years old. So legally we could drink, and I'm sure we did, amongst God knows what else was going on. This is this is the suburbs of D.C. in 1990. Fill in the blanks. You guys can figure this out. So I'm nearly nine, and I've told this story a million times on Chair Shot Radio Network on a bunch of different podcasts, but Frankie DeFalco runs Drew City Wrestling, former WWF talent, AWA talent, had Intercontinental Championship matches, great guy, runs promotion around here, played softball with my dad when I was growing up. So in the summer of 89, he told me Warrior was going over Hogan in the spring. <clears throat> so welcome to the destruction of PC Tunney's kayfabe before nine years old, and now you know why I am how I am. <laughs> it explains a lot, that's for sure. But um, going back to this event, April 1st, 1990, Toronto, Canada, Skydome. This is the first WrestleMania that goes outside the United States. It won't be the last, although there's only been one other one, <laughs> I think, in the same location, more or less. Um, I don't think there's been another. Has there been a? No, it's just it's just the two in Toronto. Um, twice, yeah. And, you know, coming off of... WrestleMania four and five, both at the, at the Trump Plaza, you know, the boardwalk in New Jersey and Atlantic City. Uh, this goes back and feels more like WrestleMania three big, massive stadium, 60 some thousand. You know, who knows what the actual attendance is, but it's a lot 60, of people. Huh? Sixty seven. Just north of sixty seven. Sixty seven thousand. Sixty seven thousand six hundred seventy eight in attendance that night. This would be, you know, it. To show, and of course everybody knows this story unless you've been living under a rock, but in case you have been living under a rock, um, this event was massively influential on a couple of Hall of Famers, Edge, Christian should be in the Hall of Fame, Lance Storm, they were there, there. Lance Storm was there, Rene Paquette was there, Um, a young Stephen Amell was also there this night, so you look at all of these people who were there who ended up with ties to you know, WWE and to wrestling in general. And I mean, it's, it's pretty massive. And you think about how this one event influenced so many people. Um, I think all three of us would, would share that sentiment that, you know, this is, this is the event where things happen that, that you realize that, you know, things that you just took for granted and thought, well, this is just the way it is. Maybe not. And, and I think this event really accentuates that. So, we're going to get into it. We're going to talk about this. You know, of course, we've got the plans for the watch along for the main event. Um, so we can all hear how that goes down and a lot of our own commentary and thoughts as the match goes along. But um, let's get into this again at the Sky Dome. Jesse, the body Ventura, Gorilla Monsoon. It's their final mania together, guys. And, um, you know, yes, this th- this great run that these, this uh, incredible team. And I was watching something the other day, Jesse talking about. Gorilla Monsoon and just how much he enjoyed working with Gorilla. They were the perfect yin and yang to each other. You know, we talk about all these other teams, Jerry Lawler and and Jr. and Michael Cole and whoever. Um, but I mean, for my money, Gorilla and Jesse were about as good as it gets. And and this this marks the end of an era here at this WrestleMania. It's the last time these two guys get to do this together. Um, Robert Goulet sings "Oh Canada," which hey. He knocked it out of the park, right? Well, he did. No. It was really good. Tony, are you That's are you singing? That's all you got? That's all I got. All right. Well, let's get into the card. It, it is it is a bloated card to be sure. There's a lot of short matches. There's a, there's enjoyable stuff to be sure, but it, it's it's. Well, let's talk about it. So, let me talk to you. Where's L.A. Knight when I need him? Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. Uh, we got the first match: Coco Beware taking on Rick Martel. 
it's a short but up-tempo opening match for the Curtain Jerker. Yes, Tony, I know we had a dark match between Paul Roma and the Brooklyn Brawler that we're just not going to talk about because why? Do we really? We don't need to talk about that, do we? I mean, you talk about the, 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 the exploits and dominance of Paul Roma? I I feel like we already did. We just did. Yeah, Paul Roma won that match. Spoiler, in case you haven't Next. seen it. Yeah. But anyway, with this match with Coco Beware and Rick Martel. <laughs> Soup for you one year. Next. Coco is now morphed into big time jobber to the stars, especially at WrestleMania. It's like I said, short, up tempo opening match. Martel's going to duck under Coco, trying a blind flying body press from the second rope. And then he traps Coco in the Boston grab and he gets a submission victory. You know, I mean, as far as as opening matches at Mania goes, this one isn't going to be remembered like it's not Brett Owen. But it's it's fine for what they needed to do to get the ball rolling, right? It ends up being one of the top five matches of the night, I'll tell you that. Really? Okay. <laughs> I would imagine, yeah, if you want to run them down. We're running them down, Tony. We're, we'll, we'll see where we are at the end of this thing. But you yeah. guys got any thoughts? I, I, I mean... I, I thought it was a fine opener. It was, what, five minutes tops in and out. They crammed a lot of stuff into the five minutes. Um, yeah, it was it was fine. It was fun. <clears throat> And a, re- a reminder for you kids at home, Rick Martel still not in the WWE Hall of Fame. I, I, is I, there don't, he- I don't get it. Is there heat there? We don't have to go down this road too far. But- I don't think so. I just don't I don't understand why he's not in the hall. It, I, I, I can't imagine there's heat. What does your cat think, Tony? He's like, he's like, fuck it all. But I don't know. I'd have to look that up, DJ, to see whether there's a, <laughs> whether there's any heat. I haven't heard anything. I mean, Martel is one of these guys that... You never hear anything about him. Yeah. I mean, never. He lived uh, He lived locally here for a while. I'm probably 20 minutes from Cocoa Beach, and he lived in Cocoa Beach for quite a while. That's right. That's where he hailed from when he was the model. Yep. Somebody needs to reach out to Rick and say, Rick, why the hell aren't you in the Hall of Fame? You know, I, he, yeah, the guy was Im- immensely talented, multi-time tag team champion with, with like multiple partners, I believe. Wasn't he? Or no, that was Tito. At but, least Tito Santana. Yeah. I know they were tag team Strike partners. Strike force, I mean. AWA champion and one of the better ones as well, if I rec- recall correctly. So, is that what the B stands for on Coco Beware? Coco Beachware. Nice no? one. Ni- nice one, Tony. It could, it could be. What did Jesse used to say that it stood for? Can I even say it here? You know, I don't know. Uh, speaking of Jesse, man, he got away with some commentary yeah, Jesse, on that. Jesse called him buckwheat. Coco. The he called him buckwheat. The buckwheat. I'm listening to this show and I'm like, he could not get away with half of this stuff in no, 2023. No, and again, kids. Reminder, there's a match on here that we will touch on, even though you will not see it on the cock. But uh, it, it's it's an indication of how different things were in 1990. But let's leave that behind. Coco and Rick Martel. Martel gets a win at WrestleMania. Cool stuff, especially you see what where he ends up a year later in a very <clears throat> unique match at WrestleMania 7. But here's like the first big moment of WrestleMania 6, and it's the colossal connection taken on Demolition. Now, Tony, I think you and I talked about it on the first half of the chapter that between your favorite event, Survivor Series 89 and Royal Rumble 1990, uh, Colossal Connection, Andre the Giant and Haku dethroned Demolition. Demolition went, you know, through all their machinations to get this rematch with the Colossal Connection at WrestleMania 6. So here you go. Colossal Connection, Andre the Giant and Haku, formidable team. You know, Andre's probably one of the one guys who Haku in real life probably wouldn't want to mess with Andre too much, you know, as tough as Haku was, you know, I don't he's think like anybody would want to mess no, with Andre. No, uh, yeah, nope. no, as tough as you are. No, it's just not going to happen. But um, very interesting, unique team. 
Andre, who, you know, you look at his career, right? He had the WWF championship for what? 14 seconds or something stupid like that. Um, and then this is really the only other title that he ever holds in, in professional wrestling. And it's understandable. You can't put the belt on Andre because how the hell are you ever going to get it off of him? <clears throat> you see here how they do it. And it's pretty smart. And like I said, the first big moment of WrestleMania six, um, this match, in my opinion, it's brilliantly constructed because they build this all around Andre's limitation and they use that as part of the storyline. You know, Andre can't go too far in the ring. He stays on the apron. He comes in. He's not he's never really officially tagged into the match. If I remember, it's Haku the whole time. Andre gets in every once in a while for a double team, but he's never officially tagged into the match. Um, and but he's involved in the whole damn thing which is just brilliant construction of a match for 1990 never gets tagged in, but he's ever present the whole time. There's a double team attempt backfires. Andre's holding one of demolition. I forget which one Haku's going to kick Andre in the face. Andre falls back into the ropes, getting his arms trapped. Bobby Heenan, who's at ringside with the champions frantically tries to free Andre the giant. He can't Haku gets dumped face first across the top rope, then gets hit with that demolition decapitation Demolition becomes three-time tag team champions. I think they're the first ones to capture the belts three times at this point in time. Um, then post-match, we get the iconic Andre face turn where Bobby the Brain Heenan berates Andre the Giant, chastises him, poking him in the chest, saying, why didn't you tag? Why didn't you do this? And then Bobby makes the mistake of slapping Andre in the face. Uh, and and it, I love this moment because I grew up a huge Andre the Giant fan. Broke my heart to see him turn heel. I understand why they did it. He was magnificent as a heel, and it really put Hulk Hogan into a different level. But I loved as soon as Heenan slapped him, and Andre's expression changes completely from kind of apologizing to Heenan. Hey, you know, I, I was stuck in the ropes. I couldn't get there. And as soon as Heenan slaps him, Andre's demeanor changes completely, and it's on. And he grabs Bobby Heenan. And he paint brushes Bobby Heenan, and yes, the second one of those blows missed badly. Who gives a <laughs> shit? Um, and he, he, you know, Haku then tries to blindside Andre. Andre catches the thrust kick, beats the shit out of Haku. Andre leaves Skydome to a huge ovation. It's his final WrestleMania match, guys, and it's not just his final WrestleMania match. This is the final televised match in the life of Andre the Giant. Um, so, you know, it's it's I'd say this, that other than the Andre, the pop that Andre got, the pop that Demolition gets for winning the titles, uh, it's one of the biggest of the night with maybe the only exception being, you know, the pop for Warrior at the end. But man, Demolition was so over at this point in time. Um, this had to be considered kind of an upset when you look at like we we're like I was saying earlier, how do you get the belt off of Andre? And they came up with a really unique and smart way of doing it here. Andre turns face in one of the biggest moments in WrestleMania history. Uh, Tony, your thoughts first on on one of the best matches on the card, one of the best moments in WrestleMania history. Would you count the 70s WWF slash WWF tag titles in this lineage? Because I kind of would. I would, yeah. Okay, so, so there's two tag teams from the 70s that held the belts three times. Do you want to give a good ass? Uh, Samoans, Wild Samoans. Correct, DJ. You want to give the try and get the other one? Uh, they're coming to my head, but the name is escaping me. Go ahead and hit me with it because I'm going to feel like an idiot. Dave, in the '70s. Let me think. Sorry. DJ, uh, you had the Wild Samoans, I would imagine. No, I actually I did not. I completely because oh. my introduction to Samoans was actually in like 
the American Wrestling Alliance. Was it the Briscoes? I didn't Did watch the Briscoes in... get it three times? No, Fuji and Tanaka. Okay, Fuji uh, and Tanaka. Okay. And Fuji yeah. wins it with Saito as well, doesn't he? At I one... believe so. I believe so. So that's a fourth reign for Fuji. Yeah, man, Jesus. Mr. Fuji. Talk about oh, underrated. Holy Jake, crap. Great, yeah. right? Him and Bobby Heenan, great managers, great workers. Yeah. But, yeah, Bobby Heenan, this is one of the matches, one of the four matches that are better than Coco Beware and um, Coco Beachware and uh, Rick Martel. I I love Haku, and you guys know how much I love Andre the Giant. Um, I, my dream match all time is peak Andre, but with Heenan. So he's in his peak, but he's with Heenan. And then second, Brock Lesnar, um, Heyman run like that's fucking gold with Heyman. You can pick with Heyman, yeah, uh, that would be awesome. Pick, pick who you want to have be the good guy or the bad guy. Likely Brock is the bad guy, but no big deal. Uh, that that would be amazing. Uh, Rey Mysterio, the only other guy to I believe hold the title for less than uh, one 24 hour period, along with uh, what you mentioned before, uh, Andre. So this is a fun match, and it makes I think this makes demolition. I really think it does. Like they were, they were one of the best tag teams around, you could say, but people didn't think that they could be the top of the of the mountain. And this face run that they go on here with these tag titles, it kind of solidifies, I think, them being one of the greatest WWE tag teams of all time. Like you said, first tag team to three in the land of the last four or five <clears throat> years, having a bunch of really good tag teams and more to come. Um, so. Yeah, and I think it was Axe that was getting the shit beaten out of him in the corner by Andre the Giant. It was. And you figure that, you know, you're talking about the mania era of... of this is the golden era of WWF tag team wrestling when all the great teams are there. Uh, I would I would give... I would say around the Hardys, Dudleys, Grudge, and well, Christian. Because there second, were a lot of... Uh, that's a second Because one. there were a lot of... I, I'd say that's more golden. Let's put it that way. But it was built around just those three. When you think back to the era Dave's talking about here, you had the Killer Bees, you had the Heart Foundation, you had Demolition, you know, you had um, Power and Glory. Power and Glory, highly underrated tag team. Um, I know a lot of people people probably disagree with that. I'll give you one. I give you one because I'm pretty confident in my argument. Uh, You had the Rougeos. and, and you had Hammer and and um, Rockers. Barber, the Rockers were one there. of the best. And remember, but you had, but you also had teams like the Acolytes and the Brothers of Destruction, I, and you had yeah. the See, New Age. I never Outlaw. counted Undertaker it, and Kane as like a tag team, but they would jump right in there and be amazing. Okay. You had Rock and Sock, you had New Age Outlaws, it's, you had Foley and Chainsaw Charlie. It's okay. you had these amazing runs in there. It's one A and one B. If you really, if you're going to ask me, because I go back to that first Survivor. I'm okay with that. I don't mind if you call yours one B. That's fine. (laughs) Go back to that first. Go back to the first Survivor Series, right? The first one in that tag team. team. I'm not watching that again. Yeah, but DJ, you know all those. Fuck you, Dave. Fuck you. Man, that match was a slog. DJ, give us, give us. Can't wait to get off of work on Friday. Three hours of Witcher in the first Survivor Series. Shoot me now. <laughs> That's not your assignment this week. But anyway, DJ, your thoughts on this match, man. I, I agree with you. It's a very well-constructed match. They probably looked at what Andre could and couldn't do and said, okay, how do we get out of this? You know, this may very well be, I think they saw the writing on the wall. If this is going to be Andre's last run, we got to turn him babyface. We got to send him out the right way. They told an amazing story. Um, Demolition looked incredible um, throughout the whole thing. And, yeah, the pop at the end of the night for, for Demolition was just 
it was cool because I was a demolition fan even when you weren't supposed to be. Right. They were one of the first crossover acts, I guess you can call it. like like Savage was the same way where I yeah. I'm not supposed to cheer for this guy, but I can't help it. And you I know, had a demolition poster early on in their heel run. Yeah, that theme song. I mean, which you know, you won't hear it on the cock, but that's another story entirely. But um no, like and demolition after this match and after they win the titles back, they're gonna have to change out of necessity because the road warriors are coming in. And now, yeah. you know, you you got the the comparisons, well, you're just a road warrior knockoff. Now it's like and I never understood why they, you know, it's like had to add crush and do all that stuff later on. It's like could have just kept on going like you were, but I think yeah. they, I think they knew that, you know, animal and uh, Hawk were coming in and everybody was going to want to see that match, which we more or less get at some point in time. But yeah, this was uh demolition in their prime. And, and it's really, it's kind of acts axis swan song sort of, because he has to Bill Eady has to step back uh, due to injuries and just things like that. And, and that's kind of the reason why crush comes in, eventually but this is yeah I, I i agree with you guys this is demolition's high water moment this is a bigger win than four this is a bigger win than and when they won the titles at wrestlemania four this is bigger than the win over the powers of pain at five I, this is this is the high water mark for the tag team known as demolition and i agree with tony i think they're horribly underrated i think there's still a large segment of the population who looks at them as road warrior knockoffs and they're really not and I think, you know, you look at the body of work that they've put in, especially over this three-year period, four, five, and six, you know, talk to me. Find me a more successful, better team over a three-year period of time than that. Other than, you know, I know Tony will talk about Edge and Christian, Hardy's Dudley's. Right. I give you that, but I'm talking for this era. Yeah, Demolition for my money, one of the greatest of all time. I'm curious what Tony thinks about that, but go ahead, DJ. I I would love to have seen peak Demolition versus peak road warriors outside of wwe because we know vince has a vision and vince has a creative vision i would love to have seen those four men be given 20 minutes and say here do your thing i think that would have been an absolute hoss fight between those four i think demolition was a wwe act and in being that it's easily top 15 tag teams all time yes um they were good they were best in WWE, though. I don't know how great they would have been in Japan with LOD. Because to be honest with you, that's where Legion of Doom really made their legacy. Is that they got the biggest pop in the fucking history of the planet in Japan. And all yeah. the- I mean, there and how we were. Because without that, I'll, I'll tell you what, they're not in my top five. Yes, but you also look at LOD being like, I think they're the only team that I can think of who held AWA, NWA, and WWF tag titles right i would it's it's bigger that the dudleys held the other big three later on which other big three is that don't say impact please don't say impact that's not a big three didn't they have the wcw titles as well at one point no they had ecw wwe and i don't know if it did i don't know what the new japan tag 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 team belts are called but i'm pretty sure that pretty sure they held the belts in japan too didn't they i think so but um Tony, you'll like this. Uh, DJ, you'll appreciate this. On my uh, WWE Universe mode, I've got a match coming up at NXT TakeOver for the Raw Tag Titles, Demolition versus the Hardy Boys. So there you go. Oh, that's good. There's your, <laughs> there's your dream match. Hardys are the champs. We'll see what happens. Um, let's move on, though. Let's talk about the next match. Hercules taking on Earthquake with Jimmy Hart. Um, Hercules makes the mistake of trying to get Earthquake into his vaunted backbreaker. Earthquake easily 
blocks this and drops an elbow on Herc and then hits the earthquake splash to win a, eh, it's a good little brawl of a match. There's not a whole lot to talk about here. Um, <laughs> I always like when these guys do this stuff. Sure, you're going to get them up in that torture rack sort of device, Hercules. Good luck with that. It doesn't, it predictably goes straight down the shitter and Earthquake continues to stay relevant, which will be important for where we're going with uh, SummerSlam in a few months and, and Earthquake rising to the front of the line, so to speak. But uh, DJ, you got any thoughts on Earthquake beat up. Oh, Tony's got his finger up. Tony's got Tony's interjecting here. After the purchase of WCW, the titles remained, and the Dudleys were the last WCW tag team champions. Does it count? I'm not counting that shit. But it really, <laughs> really, really helps me out. Oh, God. I mean, on a technicality, yes, we have to give that, that to you. I knew that they had said that, though. So they run with that gimmick. I'm sorry. I just had okay. to say face I, I, I just, Okay. Face that. Yeah, yeah, I, I, I give it to you, Wikipedia. man. Wikipedia, look at this. I'm sorry, well, sorry. If it's Wikipedia. It must be true. It's the internet. Yeah, uh, DJ, well, they, got, they got the internet on computers now. So, really, <laughs> wow, they're not just on your phone. Uh, DJ, your thoughts on uh, Earthquake beating up on Hercules here? I don't have a whole lot. Obviously, Earthquake, they you know are grooming this guy for much bigger things. Hercules is on the. He's been on the downward spiral here for what seems like you know the last couple episodes we've done of this. Hercules has just been kind of the whipping boy. Nothing, nothing to see here for the most part. Tony, anything? What DJ said, that's fine. Right. <laughs> He's a man of many words, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> I'm not gonna lie, I'm, I'll tell you what, folks. If it ain't good, but it doesn't really need four minutes and fifty-two seconds. This match, you know, hopefully we can keep it under that's, that. That's about right. Talk. I mean, that's if you're under five minutes on this card, you're doing okay. I think the- you mentioned the biggest thing that comes from this match. John Tenta is someone that they're grooming for bigger things. Yeah, absolutely. absolutely. Uh, speaking of being groomed for bigger things, I like the, I like this next thing. It's a uh, there's an interview. Rona Barrett interviews Elizabeth. Now, Elizabeth has been absent since basically what SummerSlam, I guess, where she helped uh, Hogan and, and, Bar- and Brutus beat up on Zeus and Macho. So she's been gone for a good six, seven months. Um and Liz vows to be more active if she ever returns to a ringside capacity. Can you say foreshadow? No, not foreskin. Foreshadow. Son, Tony, the path. Your mic's down, so we couldn't hear. Oh, you meant it that way. Oh, that I was intentional. Effective for the two of you seductively. Oh, where's Ray Cash when we need the total package to be brought? Hey, hey, hey Stephen, I was in the shower. I thought I heard you call. Call me back. We'll talk about it. Um, the next match is it's a, this is big moment of WrestleMania six, number two, because it's Mr. Perfect with the genius versus your man, DJ Brutus, the barber beefcake. Now look, yes. Now, although PC Tunney and I have talked about this on the first part of this chapter that we both watched Mr. Perfect get his ass beat by Hulk Hogan at house shows all over the place. He's not, he didn't really get his ass, not ass. He got beat. He, he got beat because got what, beat. but I mean, at yours, would you say like at mine, he dominated them. Like Hogan oh, yeah. was trying to put him over. Oh, in the absolutely. Back. Absolutely. Uh, it, you're absolutely right. It, not by saying this, uh, he got beat. Now we, Tunyon. Anybody on TV, Hogan said on TV like he did for Kurt Hennig at a house show at first. Right. And, and the thing is WWE at this time is still advertising Mr. Perfect is undefeated because none of these matches with Hogan have been seen on TV. So he goes into this match with Brutus Beefcake, still undefeated. Um, this is another good match 
This one I actually wanted to see go a little bit longer. Tony, what's the time on this one? This one felt awfully short. Just under 8, 7.48. Yeah, yeah, this was the second match that I thought was better than Coco Beachwear and um, Rick Martel. <laughs> it, I, would have, I would have liked to have seen them go like 10 minutes. Hey, look, at least it's not perfect in Red Rooster. So uh, we, got a better, uh, we got a better match than that. I see what you did there. At least it's not perfect. <laughs> I tell you, you'd almost think I know what I'm doing here. But uh, Brutus dominates this match early on. Perfect rallies with an assist from his boy, the genius, and the scroll that he carries out there. But perfect, he fucks around too much in this match. And Brutus grabs his leg, slingshots him into the ring post, knocks him out. Three seconds later, Mr. Perfect has suffered his first official WWF defeat. Post-match, as Perfect is still out of this thing, Brutus finishes the trim job he started on the Genius at the Royal Rumble, and there you go. <laughs> so, um, like I said, it's a, I like the match up to the, you know, I, I just, I wish they would have strung it out a little bit longer, which on this card you're saying, yeah, look, the shorter the better. But this is one where you could see that these guys had some chemistry in the ring together. Um, they knew how to work with each other. It's, um, I, I don't know, DJ, I know Brutus is your boy. Biggest win in his WWF career, probably to get uh, that undoubtedly to get the rub. Uh, undoubtedly, I watched this again just recently as homework for this show. I totally forgot Beefcake won, so I'm watching this match. I'm like, holy shit, he did win, didn't he? And it just I and then thinking back, it was surprising back then because we're talking about an undefeated Mr. Perfect, a guy obviously on the rise. Brutus Beefcake, aside from just being a a fun sports entertainment attraction, had never never done anything significant. And suddenly he's the guy to break Mr. Perfect's, you know, undefeated streak. So, yeah, I was a bit shocked by that. I popped for it, being a guy who hated Mr. Perfect for the reasons you were supposed to and loving Brutus for the reasons you were supposed to. It was fun. It was a fun match. Tony, you don't think this is Brutus's biggest WWF victory, do you? He won the tag titles with Greg Valentine. He did, but I would argue this was a bigger win. It's a bigger stage. Um, It's it's much more recognized. The win with... uh, Valentine, who do they even beat? Oh, the U.S. Express, I think, is who they beat. Um, yeah, I, I get what you're saying, but I'm thinking like just from this notoriety and the what about imp- like the he had a pretty big win with a tag match in WCW with Hogan as well. Right, right. I, I think in WWF this was his biggest. This this yeah. one and probably well, we're talking about the peak of his career, which would be 1990 WWE. Yeah. <laughs> Okay, all right, I all mean, right. I win- can tell you this went over more than any other match uh, with the adults when I was a child. They just wanted to see the genius get his hair cut. Well, they got that. Genius gets a, a nice um, crew cut, to say the very least. And and it's it's a big win for Brutus, you know, and, and you look at his his career and where they could have gone. Could he have been the Re- Intercontinental Champion at WrestleMania four? What would have happened but for his uh, absence at SummerSlam a few months later when Warrior gets the title instead, and off they go. So I thought this was kind of like good validation for him. Hey, you get to be the one to hang the L on Mr. Perfect for the first time. But it really doesn't matter because when you by the end of the night, when the Intercontinental Championship is, is or well, not by the end of the night, but a couple of weeks later, it's vacated, and Perfect is going to be the one to emerge from that tournament with the championship. So... Um, yeah, there you go. It's uh, the first loss of mi- first official loss of Mr. Perfect's WWF career here happens at WrestleMania six. Um, 
from here, we get the match that we've alluded to earlier. You will not find this on the cock. They have stricken it from the record for good reason. It is Bad News Brown versus Roddy, Rowdy Roddy Piper. Um, it's a double countout. I mean, that's really all you have to know. That and the reason it's stricken is because Roddy, like Tony and I alluded to in the first part of this chapter, decides he's going to paint half of his body black. So it's not just blackface. It's black body face everything involved and um (laughs) yeah while he was portraying himself as the hot rod and the hot scott back in 1990 it's just no love for you by modern standards there's nothing to really talk about it's just a it's just a fight they fight with each other they don't even like they don't even try to do anything for the most part it's mostly them fighting each other off and like like for real yeah Yeah. i don't i don't think they liked each other too much Neither of them cooperated with the other one to do anything. It was just, I don't know. Here, let me look. It was six minutes and 48 seconds. It lasted that long? Shit. That's how long it was. Wow. No. And that's probably because it took them that long to fight all the way to the back before they were counted out. But like you were saying, on the last, on the first cha- part of this chapter, Tony, you were of the impression that bad news was just done with everything you know he'd been he'd been marginalized enough and he'd been overlooked enough and he didn't want to play ball anymore and we know piper isn't going to play ball if he doesn't want to play ball so yeah well and you alluded to how poor of a partner he had been at survivor series two years in a row yeah (laughs) yeah exactly um yeah so you know it's it's a match that from historical context it should be on the broadcast i get why it's not you're not really missing anything by not seeing it dj I know it's been a, probably been a while since you saw this match. There's really not anything. It's just a fight. Who gives it, it is. It's just a fight. It, 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 as best I know, it never really amounted to anything. Like, I, that promo pretty much killed any any idea that they may have had of moving us into something. And I think they just kind of quietly abandoned it now, down the road. Wasn't there? Now, I, now, here's an interesting tidbit. And, Tony, you can, since you've got access to the Internet and you can look this up, didn't Piper used like I thought like Andre switched the paint around and when Piper painted half of his body with the black paint it was not the kind that could wash off and I remember hearing something about that that sounds like a prank that Andre the Giant would do and you can look that up but I think that's kind of something that I I, if I recall I recall hearing something about that that's a fun little um that's actually very funny yeah that, so he was he was painted half black for quite a while before they could get that stuff washed out of, washed out of him i mean that sounds like a, the rib that andre the giant he was he was a comedian so that sounds like something he would do um from a match that went too long to by far and away the shortest match of the night uh the heart foundation taken on the bolsheviks which is it's a squash in every way possible the hearts interrupt the russian national anthem and hit boris zukov with the heart attack and win us in 18 seconds um and i love this the hearts got a big pop for this thing in you know their home country of canada um they clearly are groomed and it's you're going to see this evolve over the next few months they suddenly out of nowhere but it's this error that that Vince is toying with this whole face versus face dynamic, although demolition is going to kind of turn heel. But the hearts are being groomed. They're going to be the next challengers for demolition moving forward. Uh, I actually for an 18 second match. I love this match because it's just great. They're going in they're doing the anthem. And then, you know, Brett just when he pins Zukov, when he's looking right at the camera and he's counting the one, two, three to you, I was like. 
that's my man right there. Bret Hart is yep. about to be on a different trajectory at all. DJ, it sounds like you kind of agree with me on this one that it's a ridiculously short match, but man, they did this very well for 18 seconds. Talk about getting over in a minimal amount of time possible. They got so much juice out of that 18 seconds. It's incredible. And that's, you know, one of the, one of the brilliances, you know, of Vince McMahon booking and Vince McMahon storytelling. They told so much in this short period of time. Like you said, they're, they're obviously the, the, the Hart Foundation. There's plans for them moving forward. But even in this time, you can see what Bret Hart is eventually going to become, you know, four to six years down the road. And you see the earliest stages of that here. It's absolutely incredible. And, you know, me, like you, when he did that shit in the camera, and I was like, you know what, that's my dude. Like, that's my guy I'm going to hitch my wagon to for the next four years and see what happens to him. And, and the ride was incredible. Being there in that moment was, you know, it's it's interesting when you look back at it. Yeah, yeah. Tony, um, is this one of your better than Coco uh, Beachwear matches, even though it's only 18 seconds? It should be. But uh, I'm just curious what, nope, Tony's like, no, not really. No, no. Whilst Piper's intentions might have been noble, the particularly stark shade of black paint ordered especially by Vince McMahon to not fade from his body due to sweat gave off a, gave off a much stranger and troubling image than it did a potent one. One amusing story is told by Piper is that Andre the Giant, an immense prank on him, that night, but and I'm leaving this word for word, whoever wrote this sucks, by switching out the special solution to remove the paint for water. So it was not the paint, it was the solution oh. that he stole to get it off of him for water, leaving Piper half black for the rest of the night and indeed most of the following month. <laughs> wow. <laughs> I found it. I found it. So there, there's a, there's some trivia for you kiddies at home here on the Big Four Project, and it actually is verified by one PC Tunny. But Tunny, your thoughts on on this Heart Foundation match? 18 seconds, uh, well done in 18 seconds, right? Wouldn't you agree? I don't think that qualifies enough time for my opinion. Okay, but as uh, well, okay. But as far as using 18 seconds to maximum effectiveness, would you agree with that? I think we've already spoke too much about it. You know my rule. <laughs> but i do agree with dj this is this is where vince was um you know and it's so easy because everybody accuses him of being out of touch but at this point in time he's very in touch with the product and everything that's going on around him and how to maximize his product and this is this is vince at his height of his powers just pulling all this i mean yes the attitude error i know that he's gonna do some magical stuff there as well but this is when you really get the idea I and mean, this guy looking back now boy he really knew what he was doing this is a good example yep. of that 100%. I mean, you're you're lacking time and you still get the Canadian kid over, you know, in spades. So, yeah, absolutely. Um the next match is, you know, Bobby Heenan's back after getting his ass whooped by Andre the Giant. He's there with his his uh his his ward, the Barbarian, taking on Tito Santana. Tito, of course, has been in every WrestleMania so far. Um Heenan is going to save the Barbarian. By putting his foot on the bottom rope after Tito hits the flying forearm. So Bobby, showing he's still got some moves, is going to grab the Barbarian's foot, put it on the bottom rope to stop the pin. Moments later, Barbarian nearly decapitates Tito with a flying clothesline off the top rope to get the victory. And there you go. So Barbarian gets a win. Tito Santana on the night that Rick the Model Martel turns in one of the Tony's top five matches of WrestleMania six. His former partner gets the shaft. Tony, true got, story. I know. You, <laughs> you got any thoughts about this particular match with the Barbarian? Another guy who gets a win here, but really doesn't do much with this. 
four and a half minutes. They would have been better off to uh, have a few of these matches seconds? on SmackDown. Oh. 33. Uh, you know, they'd have been better off to have a few of these matches on SmackDown the Friday before WrestleMania 6 uh, if they would have. Wait a minute. If they had a time uh, machine, that would have been good. Anyway, yeah, too many matches. Just not enough time. Which is weird because they had all the time they wanted in the world. Like the pay per view provider wasn't going to cut them off in five hours. Like nowadays, exactly. Right, and this was already like a four-hour show. I don't know no. if it was, it was like three and a half. So yeah, we remember between three and four hours, and yeah. this was in that weird block of WrestleManias where everyone got a turn. Like right. they did everything they could to fit everybody on the card. This was about, and I'm a big Tito Santana fan. Always was Tito was my guy. He was my first Intercontinental Champion. Uh, always loved Tito Santana, and to watch him go out like this to a guy, you know, I. Yeah, th- this match was disappointing to me. <laughs> I don't blame. Yeah, Tito was uh, he was not like Coco Beachwear status. You know, and that's that name is going to stick with Coco. He's on Twitter or X. We need to like reach out to him and say, hey, we renamed you Coco Beachwear. But uh, you know, he's not jobber to the stars like that yet. But he's moving in that direction very closely. So uh, yeah, well, once they give him the 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 El Matador gimmick, uh-huh. we're done. We're, we're done here. Clock out. <laughs> We're getting close to that. We're still a few. Yes, uh, we are. We're, we're a few years and a few chapters away. Um, we got another. This is one of the highlights. Uh, the One of the big matches of WrestleMania 6. Um, it's one of the matches that pisses me off to no end, to be honest with you guys, because of my strong feelings for the Macho King Randy Savage and just how this goes down is anyway, I'll get into it. It is the Macho King Randy Savage sensational Queen Sherry taken on Dusty Rhodes and Sapphire. Now, um, three of these guys and ladies can go. The other one has no business being in a wrestling ring. <laughs> it's just, and this is where it kind of pisses me off. Now, it does get salvaged a little bit because earlier in the night, she talks about, I'm going to be more involved if I ever come to ringside. And lo and behold, here comes Miss Elizabeth in the corner of Dusty Rhodes and Sapphire. Now, Savage, of course, feigns outrage and and it's shock but it's like randy they just pulled this shit on you at SummerSlam 89 i know because me and tunny and dj talked about it and now here you are again wondering how is this happening all right <laughs> it's billed now this is interesting it's billed as the first mixed tag match in wwf history i don't think that's accurate though i, I and i'd have to go back and look but i don't think that i'm sure they had a mixed tag team match somewhere but Anyway, they're mi- they're advertising it as the first mixed tag match in WWF history. Anyway, Savage dominates most. At least they did that right. At least Macho Man gets the lion's share of the domination. He dominates most of the match, um, and it, whenever it's him and Dusty Rhodes in the match, but it's Elizabeth who, of course, is the difference maker as she grabs Sherry by the hair, and then she's going to shove her or sling her back into the ring. Sapphire, so like if I remember correctly, and DJ Tony, you guys can correct me. Uh, Sherry's arguing with uh, with Art with Liz outside the ring. Liz grabs her by her hair, which has grown back considerably since Brutus cut it at SummerSlam '89. She grabs her by the hair. She shoves her back in the ring. Sapphire low bridges Sherry, uh, stacks her up, and pins her to score the upset. And what I would probably say the first bullshit roll up in WWF history right here, and that becomes very much a thing over the years um liz then gets down with dusty and sapphire after the match and 
it's a fucking travesty to me that Sapphire pins Queen Sherry in this situation. I get it. I get why they do it. I get that, you know, and it's a been let, let's not let's be real about this. This is Dusty Rhodes most significant win in his WWF run, right? Because it happens yes. on the grandest stage of them all at WrestleMania six. And, and I don't think Dusty ever has another WrestleMania match. If I remember, this is it. So he's like undertaker one and oh, you know, undefeated. I, all right. We won't go there, but it's <laughs> Dusty Rhodes most significant victory. It's a humbling and humiliating loss for Savage and Sherry. Um, I defer to PC Tunney first on this one. My extreme displeasure with the result is just because of my homerism to the macho King, Randy Savage. And I, I get it. This is a big win for dusty roads. It made everybody happy. You got Liz involved. Everybody's thrilled and all. It's so glorious. And I'm like, fuck this, but that's just me. I yield the floor to you, Tony, in my displeasure. I mean, he's out, he's out there in the polka dots, right? I mean, he's, she's out there in the polka dots too, for Christ's sake. Well, yeah, Jesse's commentary in the match is fantastic. (laughs) As as Wildfire Tommy Rich would tell me on a, on a couple occasions, even, you know, Dusty was so good, he got the pizza gimmick over. Um, I mean, this was not one of the uh, matches that was better than Cocoa Beach Wear. No, this wasn't in your top five? No. This no, was, no, no. I'm surprised. I'm surprised by that. This was not great. Dusty's amazing, but this was not great. Not a fan. Not a fan of what they did with him there. I thought it'd be crazy because... It's funny nowadays, what if Dusty Rhodes was like, it's funny because he's almost an indie sensation compared to what you look back at the time, right? If you want to take the lower NWA kind of uh, AWA with the WWF, WWF, wouldn't it be cool to see Dusty would have been one of the guys like Finn or Owens or Zayn or Adam Cole coming into NXT as opposed to coming into WWF and being given this? Yeah. Well, I mean, you know, what if we're playing? What if what if Vince had decided, hey, let's just do Savage Dusty one on one. That would have been a much better match. What if Hogan would have said yes when Vince asked him to give the title to Zeus at WrestleMania (laughs) six? Anyway, that's a rumor. That's a a real fucking rumor. Vince went up to Hogan and said, I want you to drop the title to Zeus at six. And Hogan's like, you got to be out of your fucking mind. Right. I, I mean, you know, Hogan's reluctant enough to drop it to Warrior, let alone fucking Zeus. So, my God, the cocaine that must have been involved in that discussion. <laughs> the PTSD that Hogan had in WCW called Creative Control came from him dealing with Vince and trying to destroy Hulk Hogan. All Could those you times. imagine the bump he did? He does a couple of bumps, and this thought comes to your head. I think we should put the belt on Zeus. Vince was hanging out with Tony Khan before Tony was even born. That's how big of a bump <laughs> that shit was. DJ, um, so Tony, Tony and say I are pre- say, say hello to your wife and my kids. Right. <laughs> <laughs> oh yes, DJ, Tony and I are very displeased with this match for obvious reasons. How do you feel about this? It was terrible. That Dusty Rhodes entire polka dot run was terrible, and I hate saying that because it was fun. This was a sports entertainment match. It was there for a reason. It accomplished the mission, I guess. Um, I Dusty Rhodes was my first baby face. And when I watched his work in NWA, what eventually became WCW, when Dusty went to WWE, I didn't get that he would be different. You know, Vince has got to put his thumbprint on everything. So when we got what we got, I, 
I do not look back fondly on Dusty's entire WWF run back then. He made a lot of money, you know, and there are going to be people that are going to look at it and say, hey, look, you got to look at it this way, and that's fine. But for me, not not a fan. So it's unanimous. We all hated this match for different reasons. Um, but, you know, it's in the record books. Sweet Sapphire rolls up Queen Sherry. Uh, Sherry, former women's champion, gets beaten by somebody with less experience. I mean, she... God damn. She made Santino Morella look like a 20-year veteran with, as far <laughs> as experience. Anyhow, um, from pretty shitty stuff to uh, Hogan and Warriors promos here are absolutely fire. I mean, they just they tear down everything. And and, and I think Tony and I talked about it, um, you know, in the last episode or last of the first chapter, the first part of this chapter, where how they kind of got to this point where they had the dust up at the Rumble and then they have that match a few weeks later with Hogan and Warrior teaming up against Perfect and the Genius and Warrior accidentally clotheslining Hogan and Hogan. I got to know what's the strongest power in the universe, brother. And off we go. Um, and this is more of the same of that with, you know, Hogan saying, I got to know who's what's the strongest power. Warrior kind of playing into the whole thing that I don't mean to do anybody any harm. I'm going to take join our forces together and take us to new heights. And yes, great. Can we get to the match? You know, that's fine. Um, you know. Hogan, of course, in my opinion, one of the best promo guys of all time. Very underrated. Yeah, lots of cocaine involved in this promo, too. No doubt about that. Fanny packs for everyone. It's like, <laughs> load the ship up with the rocket fuel. Is that what we're calling the cocaine? Yes, brother. Um, somewhere Savage is like, ooh, yeah, Hulkster dipped into my fucking fanny pack. Yeah. But anyway, uh, this this is um great stuff. I love, I, love, <laughs> I love the promos that these guys cut here. And it's it's just... And it's so different from what Hogan and, and Savage were doing a year earlier, you know, and, and that sort of thing. But anyway, on we go. You guys dig the promos. I'm sure we all do. It was better than the was this one of the better than Coco Beachwear matches back then? Yeah, I dig the promos. Uh, nowadays, I'm like, wow, I dig that. But I was a kid. <laughs> That's right. Now you're looking at it as saying cocaine is a hell of a drug, I guess. So <laughs> um, the next match, the Orin Express make their debut with Mr. Fuji. They take on the Rockers. Um, this is actually a pretty good match. Uh, right to the end, when Sato is going to throw salt into Party Genetti's eyes. Shout out to Christopher Platt. Uh, Marty Genetti, Party Genetti, whatever you want to talk it about it. Throws it into his eyes, blinding him. Janetti tumbles over the guardrail, gets counted out, and the Orient Express steal the win. Um, DJ, I'll turn it over to you first. I thought it was a good matchup until the end. You kind of wanted to see something more definitive, but you, at the same time, it's like, well, this kind of keeps the Rockers relevant. They didn't lose clean. They're, Vince is dabbling with these. I forget, Tony, whether the Rockers have beaten. No, that happens later on, where they beat the Hearts for the title. It hasn't happened yet. Um, so Vince is still dabbling with how much do I like the Rockers at the house show when they pull it? Right. Yeah. When the, when the, the rope collapses, that happened that never happened when the rope collapses. No, it didn't and yeah, yeah. It never, didn't happen yet. never happened. Um, but yeah, this, this makes sense. Vince trying to keep the Rockers relevant, putting over this team, trying to get more of the Japanese influence in, in WWF. Um, this is eventually going to fall very flat, but that's beside the point. The Orient Express get a count-out victory. DJ, your thoughts on on this? All in all, I thought it was fun. I was a big fan of the Rockers back in the day. Um, at times, I in my life, I have fantasy booked a much less crazy Marty Jannetty's career. Um, <laughs> I, I, I had a much different trajectory for that for that young lad at the time. Um, but yeah, all in all, this was fun. The ending protected the Rockers and didn't really 
you know, hurt the Orient Express, as, as you pointed out, that ended up falling flat on his face. I don't even think it lasted a year. So well, they're going to change up members. One of them is going to don a mask and be called Cato. But it's like, yeah, isn't, that the like green, that. isn't that the Green Hornet sidekick? What the fuck are we doing here, Vince? <laughs> we never give Vince the credit for recognizing the difference between Shawn Michaels and Marty Jannetty. And I don't just mean, I mean, like, overall. Like, he knew. He knew, he had a feeling about Sean. He liked Marty, kept him around. But at some point, he went, I got to get this guy away from this guy. And he yeah. pulled the trigger. And you never hear people talk about giving Vince credit for that. You never fucking People hear. don't give Vince credit for shit because he's Vince McMahon. Amen. That's that's very true. Vince does not get the credit he deserves. And, and it's easy to... to look at it through a certain prism and say, well, I'm just going to look at all the bad shit that Vince has done and all the stupid shit that Vince has done and forget about the fact that we're not even talking. None of us have a podcast. If it's not for Vince McMahon rolling the dice, having the balls to bet it all on the concept called WrestleMania. And, and you know, I think we're talking that this is the era where Vince is making, let's be honest, making more of the right decisions than the wrong ones. You know, it's like for every, stupid thing that okay dusty and sapphire you've got 10 things like uh hogan and warrior or andre turning face at this in his last hurrah even if vince wasn't particularly sure that this was his last hurrah but he saw the writing on the wall so he's doing much more right than wrong at this point in time and you're right he doesn't get enough credit for having the the vision that he did here in 1990 uh the next, the next match, Dino Bravo comes out with Jimmy Hart and Earthquake is back, taking on Hacksaw Jim Duggan. Um, <laughs> this match is pretty, it's as meh as you can get. Um, Hart is going to try to pass Bravo the two by four, but this backfires as Duggan catch, <laughs> get intercepts this, cracks Bravo across the back with the lumber and gets the win. However, post-match, Hacksaw is going to pay the price for this as Earthquake just demolishes Duggan, hitting him with not one, not two, but three Earthquake splashes, and Duggan gets carted out of this fucking thing. So the most significant part of this is not Hacksaw Jim Duggan beating Dino Bravo. It's Earthquake. Tony? You could argue behind Warrior, Quake gets over at this mania more than anybody else. It's a good point. Yeah, you look yeah. at that's as, as emphatic a squat. And Duggan is still very over at this point in time. You I know? mean, he already like he already won a match and then he comes out here, you know, afterwards and, you know, puts him down. Yeah, it destroys a fan favorite. Yeah, one of the big fan favorites. I mean, yeah. top, he was what top five fan favorite at this point in time, I'd say. Easily. And, you know, I mean, and it's it's just Duggan. It's death taxes. Duggan beats somebody with a two by four. That's all that you get at this point in time. And you get that here. But, but he, yeah, this this gets he won. He won. But he paid the price. He won. But this gets spun. And this is really, and you're absolutely right, Tony. This is when you look at the trajectory of where we go from Mania to SummerSlam 90, um, you know, Warriors, one thing. Um, Hogan, to keep him right in the forefront, despite what's going to happen in a few minutes, uh, is a guy like Earthquake, is just like a huge, a huge threat to Hulk Hogan. And he does stuff, you know, he puts Hogan out for a while and they really play the shit out of that over the next few months. That was me after the, the earthquake Hogan laying on the ground. That's right. (laughs) Twitching. We will talk about that when we get to chapter eight of the big four project. And we focus on SummerSlam 90 and survivor series 90. But um, anyway, there you go. Earthquake gets the win. Then we get this big match, another big moment, another big match at WrestleMania. 
Ted DiBiase, Million Dollar Man with Virgil, taking on Jake the Snake Roberts is one of the rare times. This might, I don't know, we got to look this up. Is this the only time the Million Dollar Championship has ever been on the line at WrestleMania? Probably. Yes. 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 This is the third match that is better than Coco Beachware versus Rick Martel. Right. Yeah. And, And on top of that, you know, we talked about Warriors promo and Hogan's promo. Dude, Jake the Snake's promo with Mean Gene Okerlund before this match is one of the best promos you will ever hear. And he's talking about, you know, he's using words like avarice and shit like that. And and Mean Gene just looks and he says, Longfellow couldn't have said it any better. I love that shit. I ate that stuff up. And Jake was just such a, so underrated as a promo guy. So underrated in general because he never won a title. But this is one of those great moments um, I thought the mat, like you're saying, Tony, the match is very good. The crowd gets <laughs> the crowd does the wave mid match, but you know I don't think that takes away from what's going on. It's just the crowd having fun. Jake survives the million dollar dream. Remember, DiBiase had put had taken Jake out for several months with that million dollar dream. This was the return match, the come up for that thing. Um, but after Jake survives the million dollar dream, he takes command of this thing. He sets up DiBiase for the DDT. Virgil, however, gets involved, drags Jake to the outside. A brawl breaks out, and DiBiase locks on the Million Dollar Dream again. Jake is going to ram DiBiase into the ring post, but Virgil is going to roll his main man, Ted DiBiase, back into the ring. DiBiase wins by countout and reclaims the Million Dollar Belt. I guess it would have been uh, vacated or something like that. I don't remember. Jake stole it, didn't he? And this was to get, if I remember correctly, Jake had stolen the belt from DiBiase. And this was for whoever won. He was, and he was keeping it in the bag with Damien. Right, right. And this was the match to determine who would get that thing. Um, so, yeah, thanks to Vir- Virgil's the MVP of this match. There's no doubt about it because he takes everything. He saves DiBiase's ass. Post-match, though, Jake is going to lay out. He finally hits DiBiase with that DDT. Um, and he passes out some C-notes to the crowd, including Mary Tyler Moore. Um, Virgil's going to save DiBiase again in this match from uh, Damian, and that's how it ends. So, you know, this would have been a really good opportunity to give Jake some gold in WWF. And and I think this, and we're just talking about things that we second-guessed Vince on. This one may be a little bit, but at the same time, I understand, you know, that million-dollar belt is all about DiBiase's gimmick and that sort of thing. I thought, like you said, Tony, this is a really good match. Uh, definitely better than the Cocoa Beach Wear match. It's um, it's it's really good. These guys have great chemistry. Virgil's the MVP of this thing. Saves everything for DiBiase, and there you go. So DiBiase wins by countout. This is a match that it's an unsanctioned title, so you can win these by countout. DiBiase escapes, doesn't get strangled out by Damian. Mary Tyler Moore gets a $100 bill. Tony, you said this was better than... Then the Cocoa Beach wear match. So it was. This was entertaining. And and the fun part about it is the fact that you have the shy, calculated face going against the bravoso heel, right? That likes to throw it in your face. So I will I will I will definitely name drop here and and say the second time I ta- interviewed Jake Roberts, he said the name of my book should have been Gimme the Money keep the title go ahead dj uh yeah this was uh, a master class by two of the best uh, of their era amen uh, yeah, two Absolutely. of the best of their era 
Um, I enjoyed every minute of this match, and it was really building up towards who's going to hit their move first. Are we going to get the DDT or the Million Dollar Dream? Because at the time, there were arguably no two moves bigger than those two at the time, as far as finishers. And Jake, top five all-time promo guy, top five for me. Um, Go ahead, Tony, real quick. Can I just say when finishers mattered? When finishers mattered. The DDT, the Million Dollar Dream were in in my top five. No one got Um, up from the DDT. You didn't get up from that. Nope. You didn't get up from it at all. But I just, yeah, Jake's a guy who I I really always scratched my head as to how he never won a title. Um, I wonder how much of his personal demons, issues and demons played a part in that, at least as far as as WWE. Incredibly underrated worker. His timing was always impeccable in the ring. Um, The psychology was just top notch. Jake the Snake was a guy who could have been anything in the pro wrestling world. And he ended up being, again, not just a top five all-time finisher at the time, a top five gimmick. Like, Jake the Snake was an awesome, awesome gimmick. And he he moved like a snake. And he just, even when he was a heel, he was very snake-like and just incredible, incredible stuff. And arguably, he's not even going to hit his prime until 11 minutes and 53 seconds match time. Yeah, that's about, that's that's pretty good. I mean, yeah. but yeah, you can make the argument that Jake doesn't even hit his prime until he turns heel in a year and a half from now. And that feud he has with Savage and the reinstatement of Macho Man and all that sort of stuff. And because trust me, you know, that all that trust me shit that was, was like peak. peak. Go ahead, Tony. Think about if Jake could have had the longevity like a <clears throat> DDP and what he could have done because he wasn't that he really wasn't that old in comparison to today when he lost to Austin at the King of the Ring. Right. Yeah, he was in his 40s, I think 41, 42, I think at the time. Right. But but you got guys now like AJ Styles and DDP and LA yeah. Knight that are like, you're good through 40 like, to 45. Yeah, like he had, if he take care of some of himself, even at that time, he's got three, four years left. Look, I mean, that could have been huge in that era, especially as you get into the Attitude Era. Early Attitude Era with a healthy Jake. Oh my God, get the that's, fuck out. Oh yeah, that's money. Yeah, yeah. He would have fit in with the Ministry of Darkness. Oh man, throw oh. him in with that shit. He would have been perfect in that. Could you imagine the feud him and Taker could have had coming out of that? Oh and my that, God. That into like a Hunter and Kane and everything else. Ugh. Yeah, I mean, and they already have built in issues with each other from WrestleMania 8. So, I mean, that would have worked out really well. Um, yeah, it's, um, but like you guys are saying, Jake is, is, is one of these guys who, a little, uh, yeah, very underrated. The one guy, I think DJ, we've talked about it before, you and I have, about how there there's wrestlers who get over and then there's moves that get over and no move ever got over more than the DDT by Jake Roberts. I can't think of any, any of them. So yeah, hell of a match. DiBiase escapes barely. He's got the gold, you know, but you know, it's, it's all good. Jake looked great in this match and, and got a moment with Mary Tyler Moore. So that counts for something. Um, Somewhere along the way between the Royal rumble and WrestleMania six, we get very unlikely face turn with the big boss man turning face. Now, this didn't seem very likely, and it kind of came out of nowhere, but you know, I'm not, and I'm not sure what Vince was thinking as to why we're turning the boss man face other than maybe they were getting some brush back from police organizations saying, hey, crooked cop, not cool, man, not cool. Yeah. <laughs> That's the only thing I can think of that makes any sense is like, you know, they are getting some blowback on that and was, all right, let's, let's turn him face. So you get the breakup of the Twin Towers here at WrestleMania 6. Akeem, the African Dream, 
who's whiter than all of us combined, but that's another story entirely. Well, Tunney's pretty white. <laughs> anyway, Akeem comes out with Slick to take on the big boss, man. There's a pre-match attack by... So, interestingly enough, we're not done with Ted DiBiase because a pre-match attack by DiBiase on the boss, man, and he does a number on the big boss, man. Ted was fairly agitated and pissed off in this attack. Not sure why. It doesn't matter. It's not enough to keep boss man down. He's eventually going to catch Akeem with the boss man slam and he gets the win. Boss man then abuses the slick, the slickster a bit post match and one minute and 50 seconds for this. match. That's about, that's about the beat down the post, the pre-match beat down by DiBiase. I bet you that lasted longer than a minute and 50 seconds, but Tony, since you're giving us the time on this thing, you got any speculation as to why we turned boss man face? He was a tremendous heel. And, and I mean, was involved in the mega powers breakup and all that. You got any speculation or no, that's a no kid. Yeah. Uh, I feel like yeah, dynamite dropping Monty. Uh, I Vince probably had some, I don't buy into the whole police thing like that. They were like saying, Hey, we need to turn this over. I think they just had a bug up their ass and, Maybe had something for him. What does he end up doing uh, moving forward? I don't remember right at this moment. He's gonna, but have, I'm sure a, gonna, he's gonna have a big. Sure uh, he has a match against uh, Perfect for the IC title a year from now. I think right. So I think maybe then they were trying to do that. You know, well, I give mean, some, right? And if like you, Hogan, like Hogan, bigger, right? You know, right? I, I think if you're gonna break up the Twin Towers, and it clearly they wanted to do that. You know, you're not going to turn Akeem face. That's not going to work. So well, <laughs> he's on his way out. So that's true. Yeah. Like that, how many more pay-per-views is he even on? I don't know. I don't think he does much beyond this, that. This they is, moved on to uh, Earthquake. This is last pay-per-view. This is Akeem the Dream's last pay-per-view. From one man gang to Akeem the Dream and done. See you later. Right so, out the door. Boss man slams him on the way out the door. Uh, DJ, you got anything on this? Nah, I was hoping for a good big hoss fight here. Didn't get it. Only lasted a minute and a half. Uh, awesome seeing that boss man hit that boss man slam on him, though. Yeah. Got that big boy up, planted him, pinned him. Let's go home. I always liked that move. That was that was one of the better I did, too. Ones. I always liked the boss man slam. He seemed like he was getting into better shape, too, he because was, yeah. early on, it's very rotund. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Uh, he's going to have some big moments. Like, you know, you're talking about he has the IC title match, the uh, match with the Mountie, the jailhouse match. We're talking about that at, at SummerSlam 91. But uh, do either of you guys think that they missed the ball, though, with him on the heel side against Hogan? Yeah, they, they could have done more with him. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, he he did a number on Hulk. And when I think it was Savage was the champion back then. And um, yeah, I think I think you got a point there. They could have done more with that. But. You know, what do you, the, the plan was always to put the belt back on Hulk. So what are you really going to do? Right. Um, they pimped the hell out of WrestleMania seven being at the Los Angeles Coliseum next year. Um, anyway, as we know, that doesn't happen, <laughs> but they, and I've always speculated, this has always been my speculation. I've never heard it confirmed somewhere, but my thought was always that they were advertising for the Coliseum because they always wanted to do the Hogan warrior rematch the following year. And based on the outcome of what we're going to see here, they said we can sell out the LA Coliseum with the Hogan warrior rematch. If we build this right, keep these guys away from each other. Now, granted, we know the, you know, the Gulf war will take place. That'll alter things a little bit, but I've never bought the whole notion. And we'll talk about when we get to WrestleMania seven, but I've never bought the whole notion that this was strictly, Switching it from the Coliseum to the L.A. Sports Arena 
was security concerns and yes, ticket sales were shit. But, you know, if you'd known if they'd advertised a year at you know, on the next time you and now I know they didn't have Monday Night Raw, but if they said, Hey, Hogan Warrior rematch LA Memorial Coliseum in one year, I guarantee you their ticket sales would have been much better. But I've always thought that was their plan and it just didn't work because of Warriors issues. I don't know if you guys buy into that or not. DJ I, I don't know. It's I was in that weird phase where right after 90, I graduated high school in 91. My life took a, like a hard left turn in 91. So I kind of drifted away from wrestling for a few years. So I heard a lot of this stuff a decade later. So I, I really don't have a, have an opinion on it. Tony, you got, am I completely off base here? I wasn't even 10. So Tony's got no opinion. Oh, you guys can see that. Fuck you, Tony, for being a dickhead. Yeah, exactly. What an ass. God, you know. Well, let's let's try and get through these last few so DJ can at least comment on this before cut out of here. Um, Rhythm and Blues comes out. This is an iconic moment that we didn't know about until after it happened and many years later. DDP is the, uh, isn't he the chauffeur? In he is. The, He's driving the car. The pink Cadillac. Cadillac. They debut honka, 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 honky love uh it's fun but very cringeworthy and the bushwhackers they (laughs) they decide to save everybody by coming into the ring disguised as who are they disguised as janitors or custodians or something like that anyway they smash some guitars they chase everyone away and that's all you've got but rhythm and blues will kind of sort of dabble around with this is like a to me, this is like, okay, this is how we're going to reboot Honky Tonk Man and Greg the Hammer Valentine. It doesn't work. But DDP, as a chauffeur driver, his first WWE appearance, and this kind of gets him into the industry a little bit, right, DJ? Yeah, it gets a foot in the door for him, um, opens up a lot of things. And, again, this is one of those things, like most of us, none of us knew for years. He was just he was just a guy. <laughs> just some dude. He was a club promoter. He was uh made friends with a lot of big names, including Stone Cold Steve Austin along the way. So, yeah, it's really cool to see him here because, you know, we're almost on the precipice of someone at that age when he won his first world title doing that again. Yeah, yeah he got a late start. Very late. Like, for, like, in-ring work, DDP got a late start. Yeah, I think being at this event kind of wet his appetite for this whole thing and really yep. gets him going, so... Um, yeah, I mean, you know, it is what it is. Cool pink Cadillac. That was fun. But the rest of it, eh, you got the Bushwhackers involved. You know, Tony everyone mentioned, gets a turn. Everybody gets a turn. Tony mentioned it earlier. The attendance announced 67,678. Um, it's an attendance record for Skydome at the time. It's going to stay that way for quite a while, I think. Um, but lots of people there. And then we get the penultimate match before the main event. Ravishing Rick Rude with Bobby Heenan versus Jimmy Superfly Snuka. Uh, look, Rude moves out of the way as Snuka tries for a flying headbutt from the second rope. He immediately hits a Rude Awakening to ki- pick up a big win. Rude's going to become the number one contender um, after this match. Rude, who always is in phenomenal shape, looked tremendous in, in this match. I mean, like, whoa, he's really, if you can get shredded even more. Rick Rude did. <laughs> and then, and, and uh, yeah. this was just an emphatic beating of a Hall of Fame guy like Jimmy Snooker. And I, I thought for Rude, that's a cool win for him. You know, so, Tony. More Heenan. That's true. Uh, more Heenan. You can't go wrong with more Heenan. 
a good buffer in between, you know, what you had just had a couple matches ago with Jake Roberts and, and Ted DiBiase. So, yeah, a couple palate cleansers. You get Heenan back out there again, and now it's now now we're gonna get to the reason we're actually here. DJ, any thoughts on Rude whooping up on Superfly here? I think it went down the only way it could. Superfly's on his way out. Rude's on his way up. Another guy that I really feel like they could and should have done more with. Interestingly enough, we were talking about Rude on my podcast one time. He feels like a guy who was in WWE for much longer than he was. And I really think he was only in for like three total years. Like he did see crammed so much into that three-year period of time. But he still, I think he should have been at the top of the card more. Doesn't he goes to WCW and gets hurt and then comes back as the manager with DX and then he does, does the yeah. whole thing where he shows up he on both shows. Back. Yeah, both shows, same night and that sort of thing. I, I think Rude's one of these Let's guys who, had he I not did, gotten go, hurt. Go ahead, Tony. Go ahead, Dave. No, I was just no, saying, no, had he not gotten hurt, I think we'd be talking about him differently. He might even Absolutely. still be alive if he hadn't gotten hurt. And you got, beat me to it. And got hooked on all that bullshit. But, um, yeah. Tony, what are your Incredible thoughts? talent. Yeah, absolutely. And a legit tough guy. Yeah. Yeah, I heard stories about that dude. <laughs> so He sits in an era with a bunch of guys that should have won a world title where it was a different time, and now we live in the times we are where, hey, here's your ribbon, you know? And I've, mm-hmm. and I've, I've very vehemently protested against that, especially, like, these gigantic cards and these two-night things. But, yeah. Rick Rude is one of the best ever, and who knows? If he did win that world like classic belt between New Japan and WCW, that I see, I see champion too. Technically, as a world title, yeah. But I mean, back when the IC title was what, like really b- a big deal. What what you gonna do, brother? What I'd like to have right now is for all of you fat, out of shape, lazy assholes to keep five the music ago, down. Yeah, five years ago, I didn't pertain to that. Oh, I am. <laughs> Yeah, Tony and I were talking about that in the pre-show huddle. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah, well, yeah, really look at this. Now it's like, yeah, he's fucking right. Yeah, I feel triggered. (laughs) (laughs) I love Rude's. Rude's promos were always the best. The lead into the match, and they were just uh, Stone Cold says he learned a lot driving with Rick Rude, BT Dubs. Oh, I imagine you had to learn a lot when you were out there with Rick Rude. I mean, just and Jake Roberts has some fun Rick Rude stories as well. So that's that's always fun to listen to them. But kids, we are at the main event of WrestleMania six. And as promised, DJ's cutting out of here. But as promised, we are doing the watch along for WrestleMania six, the main event, the ultimate challenge, Hulk Hogan, ultimate warrior. Not sure how we're pulling this off, but we're going to take a quick little break here. Then we'll be back with the watch along. I'm not sure who will be involved, but we'll see. But you're listening to the Attitude of Aggression Wrestling Podcast, a part of the ChairShot Radio Network right here on thechairshot.com. This is your boy, Kenny Killer, telling you to make sure you check out thechairshot.com, bringing you breaking news, interviews, Podcasts galore. Everything pro wrestling. Make sure you check it out. TheChairShot.com All right, folks, we are back. This is a first. Tony, you know, this is the 280th episode of Attitude of Aggression. And (laughs) even though I started a year before you guys, you guys have lapped me now. But you know, as well as anybody, some of the trials and tribulations of this show. 
and at least I haven't thrown in the towel yet. I think you uh, put your efforts. In, I listened to Musical Chairs this past week, um, which was, well, it depends on when it comes out, but I think it was season three, episode two. It was the Who in Blink-182. Yes, sir. Trying to rhyme, but it's just happening. <laughs> I hope you enjoyed that episode of Musical it Chairs. It was really good, actually. You and Patrick are excellent on your music uh, deposition. There you go. So... That's right, and Tunney's been here for a lot of these episodes, and and 280 episodes in, we've never done this before, a a watch-along. I've done it with uh, our good friend Rick Latchin and I. We actually did Royal Rumble 92 on his podcast years ago, but I never tried to do it on my own, and we picked a hell of a one to do. It is the main event of WrestleMania 6, the ultimate challenge, Hulk Hogan, Ultimate Warrior. So, for you guys at home... Tony's got his loaded up. I've got mine loaded up. Load up the ship with the rocket fuel, literally. Oh, boy. I know. If you want to do this with us, if you are listening at home, watching this, want to watch along, go to Peacock or the Cock, however you want to know, however you want to do it, and go to the timestamp, two hours, 51 minutes and 39 seconds. That is where PC Tony and I are going to start this off. Tony's right there. I'm right there. We're going to do the countdown. We will hit play at the same time. I'm going to actually have some of the sound in the background so you guys will get the ambiance of what's going on. Um, hopefully I won't like forget and delete this after the fact and have Tony bail me out again and having me kind of pipe in the sound like I'm going to have to do with chapter one or the first part of this with the Royal Rumble 90, which we recorded and my dumb ass deleted it. But anyway, two hours, 51 minutes. Why are you selling yourself out there, buddy? Nobody needs to know. <laughs> the doctor doesn't need to know about these things. But anyway, two hours, 51 minutes, 39 seconds. Tunny, if you are ready, let's hit the play button in three, two, one, go. Here we go. The Ultimate Warriors music starts, crowd starts. Here you go. the main event this is what a main event is actually people just that's, so you all know that's right this was in the land of main events was a real thing and and this is like thing that people forget about this match is this was title for title you know they never did stuff like this right like he he actually uh relinquished the title like he does he didn't, yeah he he was a double title he was like is he the first double title holder i think so and he comes down, he's running. It's funny because I'm pretty sure Ventura questions the fact when Hogan comes he does. down that. He's saying uh, Warrior know, should be Warrior, conserving yeah. his strength. Yeah, yeah, and Hogan just kind of walked down, nonchalant, ready to go. It makes me think that Jesse knew. Well, I knew. I, was, I wasn't even nine and I knew, so everybody fucking knew. <laughs> yeah. Worst the, kept secret ever. The Warriors uh outfit is on as as old Gator used to say on fleek here because the orange and the the paint on the chest and I mean it's it's not gonna last long, but the dude is in unreal shape right now. That's not orange, that's peach. Is it peach? It looks orange. It it's more <laughs> peach than orange. And Warrior, that, that pretty cool, that yellow outline on the uh, IC title. And, yeah, I mean, think about it. If Hogan had won, he would have been an Intercontinental Champion. He never won that title. No. And now here comes Hulk coming out. He wanted nothing to do with it. No. Let's put it this way. Is there more paint on his face or chest at the end of this match? Neither. <laughs> yes. Good call. That's the correct answer. And here comes the Hulkster. 
still immensely popular. I mean, this is three years after after WrestleMania three, and Hulk still. I mean, Jesse saying, "I'm not going to try and talk over this insanity." It's the first time someone was as over as Hulk Hogan. Yeah. Yeah, and the crowd is kind of split. You got to see it in the early moments of this, and Hulk just, you know, he, like you're saying, he, he takes his time, and Jesse, like you're saying, he's going to comment that Hulk Hogan took his time. He kept his cool. That's what Jesse's going to say in a few minutes here. But, um, yeah, Hulk really questioned Vince's decision on putting Warrior over here. Well, I alluded to it earlier that Vince wanted Zeus is is a rumor. Thankfully, Hogan, Vince came to his no. senses. And... Well, I mean, maybe Hogan just was smart enough, you know. Yeah, he thought Hogan thought the guy looks great, but he's a flash in the pan. This is never going to work. Turns out he was right. <laughs> it gave him time to go do some stuff. I mean, then when well, Hulk, know, Hulk's talked when about it, to, that when he came to do it. Him and Sarge, you know. Yeah. I mean, Hulk's talked about it. He was banged up. He was getting hurt more often. It was starting to take a toll on his body. And he's like, nowadays, I would just said, hey, I need a break, you know. But they had to figure out a different way to do this. Maybe, like, if you want to believe the Zeus thing, then maybe Hogan is the one to pick Warrior. Maybe. 68, that, look at that. That face, man. That hair, what the hell just happened? No, we're back. Oh, there we go. <laughs> I was like, wait, where where did we go? We are on the same page here. Yeah. Abner giving the rules, patting them down, uh, knee pads, elbows. Here's Jesse talking about it. Jesse's saying he took his time. He kept his cool. Warrior already sweating, Gorilla. That's a sign. There you go. Jesse calling him out. Very 80s hair for Warrior. Oh, God, yes. Uh, Very Bon bon Jovi. And Hulk would have had that hair if he had any hair, but he doesn't. He would, but he's looking not too bad. He's still got a tiny bit on top, and and the back is looking, the party is looking pretty good. So Hogan looks great. Warrior looks great. Um, They both look really, really good. They're in in tremendous shape. Like, oh, man, wow. You know? Hogan. I remember watching this going, wow, Hogan. There's the bell. Honestly. It's a slow start. They're just staring it down. The the crowd's going crazy. Yeah, Warrior already kind of going crazy. Hulk unimpressed. Going to shove each other a little bit. Yeah, the opening of this match is, is it's kind of done well, I thought. You know, just what they're doing. Look at how deep the crowd is, though. Like, this is an arena that is just filled to the gills, and they're putting seats everywhere. I mean, 67 plus. Yeah, 68,000. I think they did less seats the second time to be honest with you, by a couple hundred. Oh, for when Hogan took on The Rock? Yeah, I think it was like, this is 678, the other one's like 474, something yeah. like that. I, I, I mean, I believe it. But I mean, so they basically the same setup, maybe they just had shit because they have the stage and the pyro and everything else now. Uh-oh, here we go. Now Test we of strength. 
Yeah. The dogs weren't part of the Sky Dome. That's that's my own sound effect. So. I remember going ape shit here. Here we go. It's the fucking Tesla strike. And I'm like, oh. I mean. When's they, the last time you watched this match, Tony? It's. I, I tried not to watch it since we decided we we're going to do the watch. There you go. I've seen this thing so many times, but yeah, I like it. Yeah, we know it. Pillar to post. But yeah, here's the here's the test of strength. Warrior gets the advantage, and Hogan comes back, right? Yep. Look at the muscles and sweat going, Monsoon. The commentary definitely does assist this match, like any great match or feud, you know, i.e. Rock and Austin with Bross um, uh, and, and Lawler. So. Yeah, exactly. And here's here's where Warrior gains a bit of an advantage. And right away, you're like, okay, wow. He, he does have a chance to beat Hogan, right? Because, yeah. I mean, right out the gate. He's taking advantage. It's early on. He's on top. He's got Hogan on his knees. The crowd is going crazy. The Warrior the fans are full throat. Crowd, it's like the crowd wants Warrior here. They do. I mean, there's a there's at least, yeah, you got to figure there's at least 30,000 to 40,000 Warrior fans. Oh, I would say, well, you know, it's funny. What I mean... I think the biggest piece of the pie is their fans of both. Like now, who were you rooting for back then? I was warrior guy. I did like Hogan. I never didn't dislike Hogan, but I don't think I ever like fell in love with Hogan. I was, I was, like, oh, I was definitely in the Hogan camp for this match. Yeah, no, I was a warrior guy. I mean, yeah, here's Hulk coming back. Two years leading up into this, I would like encourage my parents to rush home from church on Sunday because at 11 a.m. Uh, on the ABC network channel and 12. You see Hulk, yeah. Hulk gets him down Start. and now you can see that you can see the Hogan fans there. They're ever present. So I mean this was like a, I, I mean I don't know Hogan and Macho there was still some kind of beef. This is the first time there was not a really a beef. It was true face on face. Yeah, it was It was so different that they'd never done anything like this. And Vince, like we talked about earlier, gambling, willing to take a chance. Would would this, would this sort of face versus face situation divide everybody so dramatically that it would take away from the match? And it actually has the opposite effect. And now Warrior coming back up. So Warrior gets over on this whole thing because he starts off strong and he finishes strong. It's like right. how to win a round in MMA or boxing. Hulk with a good move. There's the first like real move in the first cover. Got a one count. That was like their long delayed, you know, lucha kind of sequence. Right. <laughs> exactly. And here's like kind of where we pick, we pick up from Royal Rumble 90 right here. Iconic. I mean, yep. because one of the biggest parts of this match no is sell. to the you know. Warrior constantly pumping up. Here we go, crossing ropes again. Yeah. Warrior drops down this time and gets the body slam. That's right. And Hulk doesn't pop up so quick. 
it's like Warrior should have been, if Reebok was smart, they would have invented like the pump of sneakers and Warrior could have pumped them up. Here comes a big moment. Warrior clotheslines Hulk over the top. And now Hulk is going to have this knee injury for the next couple minutes here. Well, he wants to stole the match down. It's funny because if you listen to podcasts, Hogan says that at some point early on, Warrior wants to go home. And I, I, I know exactly. I'll, I'll, I'm, I'll tell you exactly where it is. All right. Good. Because <laughs> good, good. I'm pretty sure I know where it is. But I have a commentary. Right now. But I love the fact that this was really smart on their part because they picked up from where the Royal Rumble 90 left off and they kind of retreaded it and take it to the next level. You got to remember, these are two guys not known for their work rate. And Hogan certainly let Savage be the ring general in their matches. So Hulk's got in the unique position of he's, with all due respect to Gunther, he's the ring general in this match. It's it's funny, though, because, like, the heels should call the match, right? You'd think. And Hogan is the heel because, not because he's a heel, but because he loses. So, yeah. like, the baby face should always get over more than the heel unless we're appropriating the heel to something else, which is not the case here. Hulk really do I mean, he does a good job of selling this knee injury, you know? Warrior just throwing Hepner aside. Get out of here. Yeah, hey, you know, Hulk doesn't use... He's, Hulk's probably underrated as a seller, I think. I mean, honestly, if you take the whole, like, he's a racist asshole kind of thing out of it, well, he's, yeah. he, he is the greatest of all time. Yeah. When you think about what he did for the business if, and... If, if you could, if all that got pulled out of everything he did... I love this this line by Jesse. Let the two goody two-shoes throw the rule book out and get nasty. And that's that just solidifies what we said before two of the biggest faces ever this is this is new territory especially at wrestlemania yeah now hulk's rallying the knee's fine and now we get into the heart of this thing Ooh, that running clothesline that's a hogan trademark now we get a 10 count one two three four. gorilla tries to explain the knee injury it could have just been the patella. Even back then, we didn't get a 10 count. I know. We got the kneecap, Jess. Yeah, there you go. Thanks, Gorilla, for the commentary. Big slam. No chest paint left. Middle no. face paint. Yeah, and then there were five minutes. Got a two count. Here's where, Tony, I think that The front face lock. You you think Warriors telling him to go home right? Yep. Here? Yeah, I think at this point there's a lot of rest holds going on, and you know Warriors gassed. You can tell he's kicking out, but he doesn't have much left in the tank. And right here where they got the reverse chin lock for, and I think right here he's telling him let's go home. And Hulk's like, you got to be fucking kidding me. This is WrestleMania. Do you think right there? He wants him to get up into the double clothesline segment. I don't know about that. I think Warrior wanted to go home already. He wanted to find some way to get out of this thing. And Hulk, to his credit, realizes well, you think, you're crazy. But they have to have that plan. So that's why I'm saying, like, go home means do those things. 
because obviously otherwise if those weren't planned that's a hell of a thing that they planned on the fly right that's why i don't believe hogan's story that's my whole commentary on that yeah and if I mean, it was i think it was that then i think it was do that quickly right i mean kudos to hogan. Oh, i mean this is one of the greatest wrestlemania events ever yeah, and, and Hulk's <laughs> Hulk's the one doing all the uh, all the work right now. But yeah, he, I mean they're going to sell this for a few minutes, and I think you know Hulk does a good job of letting Warrior, if he was gassed, letting him get back into it, letting him catch his breath, and and Hulk does a good. And this is fun because you know Hulk complaining about the count. The long shot before that uh, pinfall was really nice on the stadium and the crowd. Yeah. So we're at uh, 306.27. Yeah, 306.27. We got it roughly. Yeah. Hogan with a rear chin lock on a seated Warrior. Here's the ropes. Yeah, and this is good because Warrior, this is giving Warrior a chance to catch his breath. And you can see he's he's struggling a bit. Hogan's like, this is what we're going to do here. You can see he's talking to him. Yeah. Yeah, he's saying, no, we're not going home. <laughs> we're not ending this thing. Um, it's interesting gonna, as well that, you know. We're going to close like each other as hard as we fucking can. That's right. <laughs> that in this face-versus-face matchup, it puts it puts Jesse and Gorilla in the unique position of both of, of just, like, instead of like they normally do where the, the biases come out during the commentary, there is none of that in this match. They're just calling this like a real sporting event. And you get to hear some of that as the match goes on. And I love Jesse giving Grillo the crap about, stop calling it these medical terms. It's the back. <laughs> it's funny because certain iconic matchups end up luckily or by happenstance having the perfect combo to call them. This is one right? of them. Right. The amazing you get uh gorilla and jesse here you get uh lawler and ross for austin or rock etc etc so right the great shot right there looking at the camera looking in on the rear chin lock up to yeah. the big in toronto with the crowd behind it because at the time i remember actually seeing that and i was like Wow, the screen is that big there with the people watch. And Warrior's now starting to rally that. His leg's starting to shake. He's starting to pump up. Like you're saying, there's no more pain on his chest. There's still a few flecks on his face. Yeah, a little bit. But now Warrior coming up. <laughs> the eyebrows are holding on to some That's of right. the face. That's right. Whoa, elbow. elbow to the gut. Big time. Getting out of the getting out of the headlock. Warrior breaks out. Here we go, Tony. Here's your spot. Boom. Yeah, they clothesline the shit out of each other. And now we're back. And now we truly are back to Royal Rumble 90. I mean, this had to have been a planned spot. I just don't believe it. Absolutely. Yeah, I think, I think they plan on, on doing this at some point. We got a sign in the background. Oh, the things to come. As far as the crowd signs go. They're talking to each other on the ground here. 
Oh, Warrior, just with the right eyebrow makeup. That's it. <laughs> right eyebrow and under the right eye have held on to make nothing else. That's right. Oleg being revealed in the ring in Toronto. And Warrior's the first one up. Oh, yeah. And he's feeling the power of the ropes, dude. Yeah, I like they sell that, that there might actually be a double count out inside the ring. A double knockout, I guess. Hogan's starting to come up. Could you imagine if this was a no contest? It was not going to happen. But, my God, people would have just, they would have burned the place down. Warriors got to the ropes. And now he's doing his his version of a Hulk up. Hogan having zero effect on the Warrior. Nothing you can do on those abs or lats. No. Hogan. Just slam his head into his chest. And now Warrior's going to rally. Here we go. Big clothesline. There's one. Oops. One more time. And another time because he doesn't have his timing down. That's right. Horrible clothesline. But we get the party up. Back, drop to the ropes, and another There's big another clothesline. one. Uh, Warrior's on fire right now. Oh, chop. Good chop, yeah. Now, pillar to post. Thank you, Gorilla. I knew your commentary. Hogan's like, let the commentators uh, cover up some bad wrestling by the Warrior here. (laughs) Holding on for dear life, no face paint left. Look at this. Here comes a wrestling move, Tony. Suplex. Oh, my God. Wow. A pretty pretty decent one. Horrible cover. No leg, no arm, nothing. Two count. Now we're going to get. Oh, no. Under the right eye. We still got some. We still got some. Get a bear hug on the Hulkster. How how do we go home here, Hulkster, I think, is what's happening. (laughs) Yeah. Where do we go from here? I got nothing, Hulk. What are we going to do? He's telling telling Hepner, can you text Macho? We need some help on this thing. I'll never look at Elizabeth again. I'm sorry I had lust in my eyes, Randy. Can you help us out with this match? (laughs) I mean, at the time, though, we're eating it up. Like, this is amazing at the time. Seriously. I I mean, it's... I'm not that old. You you are, like, coherent enough and, and, you know, have philosophies of your own at that time. What do you remember, like... How big was this for you? How, how, how quality do you remember it at the time? I remember it very well. <laughs> I mean, I remember, yeah, like I told you, there probably about, we had at least 20 people at the house. And but at the, what, what did you give it on a scale of 10 at the time? Oh, when it was over a 10. I mean, at the time, it was a 10. It's huge. It, it was, it was, and we'll, t- yeah, we'll talk about it at the end. Just, you know, this match was, because everything about it, it's it's unheard of at the time. It's the two biggest baby faces in the industry squaring off against you. They never did this. It was it was truly a dream scenario. We're still in the bear hug. Keep going. Yeah, we're still in the bear hug. And I mean, you know, they there's, you know, looking at it now, it's still an iconic match. But there's so many rest spots and things where, but it it works. You know, it it works in the grand psychology of the match as to what they're doing is as you know far as like the things that they're trying to do um you know clearly they're calling a lot of this stuff in the ring 
I don't think this is like WrestleMania three where Hulk wrote it out on three <laughs> on legal pads. I think they made a lot of this shit up as they went along. Hulk just listened to the crowd. Yeah. When he knew. He he knew. He he always knew when he was in a match. He did it against always, The Rock. Like, I mean guys, he never really had a bad match. <laughs> nah, I mean they're all good. They're not they're not, you know. Yeah, it's not Omega Osprey, but who gives a shit? It's it's better theater in some ways, many ways actually. And I love this stuff. Yeah, the drop the arm drops twice, but not the third time. And now Hulk, now the Hulk fans are back into the match as they know. And it's great because we all knew stuff was going to happen in this match. You knew that there's going to be moments for both of them. And now Hulk breaks free. And here's the big ref bump. This is why I don't believe any of that, like, go home early shit. Unless you think Warrior got scared and said, let's go home early? I think that's what it was. It was the nerves, and then he got into it. Davey Boy did the same thing with Brett at SummerSlam 92. You know, it's right. the same thing that it's nerves. It, you know, it could be cocaine. Who knows? But it, they, they, get, they get to the point where, like, I can't do this. And then they get into it, though. You know, they had, Hulk was very much like Brett was in that match, calming Warrior down. No, we're not going to fucking panic. We're not going to do this stupid shit. Stick to the plan. And now the Warrior. Warrior still got energy here. Oh, yeah. Boom. Warrior's work rate in this match when they're working is, it's pretty is good. very high. Hulk sidestepped that shoulder block, drives Warrior head first into the mat. And yeah, here you go. There's the pin. This is the first false finish. That's right. It's a six count. Fuck you, Bundy. Fuck you, Big E. There's a six count for you. So this was Hogan's. I'm still gonna have a you know say that it that yeah I kind of got screwed. If they were going for a rematch, but now Warrior does this nice belly to back. Hey, nothing wrong with that move. That was a good one. And 1, 2, 17, 18, 19, 20. Right. Now they sell this part. This this part's really well done, though. I love this. Hefner starts to come around here. And Warrior's oh, yeah. trying to get him over here. And now, I mean, it's the longest three count in the world, but look at this, how they play this thing out. One. Well, Hogan's Two. Jesse, of like, this is it. Yeah. Nope. <laughs> The Hulk well, fan well, in the in the audience, you know, exhaling. I love that. I I I know. Now here's a nice Hulk with a good roll up. This is a three count. Ref out of position. Warriors out. This is what gets the crowd and the audience watching at home really riled yeah, up. At, at this point, we were all in a fever pitch. It's like, oh, that's bullshit. Whoever you were rooting for, you know, you were just mad at that it didn't come clean. Right. And, now, and then there goes Warrior with a back over. Right. We are in. We are into the uh, last stages of this match here. First time we had forgiving outside uh, Warren. Right. They're trying to, they headbutt each other, and it's like, yeah, there you go. Wow. I don't want to go in the post. You want to go in the post? No, I don't nah, go you're post. going in the post, Hulk. All right, I'll go in the post. And he does. <laughs> there it is. No blood in this match. So you didn't need it. But here we go. This is the uh, the end stage of this. 
I think so I think it's better without blood this match. Yes, absolutely. Warrior with an okay clothesline. Here we go. He seems to be getting stronger, Jesse. There Even the conditioner and hairspray are out of the hair of the old. It's gone. Warrior. It's gone. No chest paint. There you go. Here's the big moment. The gorilla press. He's got him up. I mean, this is as good as you can hope with a guy the size of Hulk. Uh, it counts. He gets him up. But the There's splash, a splash. Shitty. Is fucking... So two things. Hogan gets the first fake pinfall, and he gets splashed on his back. Yeah. One, two, and here we go. And the Hulk fans lose their minds. Hulk starts to Hulk up. Just great. I, it is great theater right here. And you're just like, and I mean, at this point, those of us at home, you're watching this in 90, think yeah, Hulk's got it. Hulk's got it. You know, this is, you know, you weren't sure whether this was going to happen, but now Hulk's hulking up. Warrior can't do anything to him. God, I've well, seen this happen 100,000 times before. Yeah, you've been conditioned to it. Exactly. That's why this is so brilliant. But tonight? Not going to happen tonight. I'm not sure. Tonight. I know. Hulk warning warrior. There's the block one, two, three. Here comes the big boot. And it's like you know what's coming. Here it is. Goes for the leg drop. And he moves out of the way. Then the splash. One, two. Got him. And the fans lose their fucking mind. That's why I thought that first splash should have been on the on the stomach. Yeah. It would accentuate the fact that he didn't get up so high. Right. Anyway. Hogan doesn't think it's three, though. So Hogan sells the fact that he's reluctant to be a loser in this match, though. And I think that makes it more of a spectacle. Yeah, I mean, the way they do it. I mean, and, and even... And he does, you know, he like... If it's a three count, it's barely there, you know. After all those long three counts, it's sort of a quick three count to finish. Right. And it's and it's done so well that you know you look at from the stamp. walking up to the ring right now. He's got one belt. He's though. got his his IC title. He doesn't want anything to do with the WWF championship. No, and Hogan's got it now. He went and grabbed it from the uh, timekeeper's table. Right. And he's he's kind of distraught here. He, he, is. he doesn't do. He's he's. He's, he's coming to a realization that he lost, that he was not the better man this evening. And he lost clean, which hadn't happened in six years. Right. Six Regardless years. Regardless of whatever happened with the ref, there was no outside interference. It was, nope. all, it was all cosmic, Dave. Right. There were ref bumps, and both guys got stuff in, and you could make arguments, but in the end... Here it he is. Presents the oh. belt. And then you get the big embrace. Raises his hand. And this is genuine. This this part is absolutely genuine with Warrior thanking Hulk because he Hulk did for him what Andre did for Hulk three years earlier. Makes me feel like Vince did really want Zeus. <laughs> God, I hope not. Yellow IC belt. And the other, and the, yeah, like you're saying, Warrior's the first double champion is... I can't remember anybody else up till then who held both those titles. And those are the titles. Hogan bows out. And they had that little cart. 
Yeah, for WrestleMania six, we forgot it was very much like three. They had the cart that would wheel these guys back and forth, and Warriors the champ, and you know, giving he's giving his props to Hulk. <laughs> and I like that the thing starts up and Hulk's not ready. He's like, "What the fuck, are you guys doing?" And, and this is kind of cool. Fire. This is like the is this the first pyro, honey? First pyro in WrestleMania history. I, I'm thinking it probably is. I can't remember us talking about it beforehand. No. I mean, I, I got to think this is the first pyro we've had in WrestleMania in, in Big Four history, even. There you go. I a trivia question, you know. There goes Hogan. Yeah, it's happened above the big ass screen that, and, and in the middle of the ring. They're just dropping it down. Yeah. They're throwing those little poppers on the sidewalk. That's right. Damn. <laughs> and Hulk just taking it all in, man. That's a big fireworks going on for 1990. Um, for Ultimate Warrior fans, I just want to let you know um, this is it. Yeah, it's, this is the high water mark. That's for damn sure. I I like the match against um, well Savage against Sarge. Yeah, yeah. We'll and we'll talk about that. But man, so there's our watch along. Um, you know, looking back on it, Tony, it's it's actually you know you watch it going and happening in front of you and having you here and you know kind of talking about it. Yeah, there's a lot of rest spots. Whether Warrior wanted to go, he probably did. I think you're probably right. It was nerves. It was uncertainty as to where are we going with this thing. I know I'm supposed to win. Can we just get to that point, Hulk? And Hulk, to his credit, strung this thing out and let Warrior get back into it, let him do a few things that he needed to do. And in the end, I think, you know, with Hulk having not been beaten in six years and having a plausible way to end this thing, um, Whoever came up with that finish, whether it was Vince, whether it was Hulk, whether it was Jim, um, it was brilliant, you know, to think that Hulk will go for the leg drop. He'll miss because I'll move. I'll pin him. He'll kick out at 3.2, and it, it'll raise the possibility that, well, maybe he kicked out in time. It feels like a Hogan. It does feel like something he would come up with. I, I, haven't, I haven't researched it enough to know whether that, I mean, obviously it was Vince's call that Warrior was going to win, but... Um, how they structured the match and that sort of thing. I don't know. I think this still remains one of the greatest last matches to a numbered WrestleMania is, I guess how I have to say that now considering the words main event mean nothing. Um, so, uh, still top five last match to a WrestleMania ever. Well, I think when you take everything into consideration and you, you oh, factor yeah. everything. Yeah. It's ma you. Match quality. Look, it's as good as those two guys could do. There's no doubt about that. They weren't going to put on a better match. And yeah, it's not Savage Steamboat, and that's okay. Because for those two guys to be in that situation, in this this rarefied, untread-upon ground of face-versus-face match, um, in this environment, title for title, everything. I mean, you know, they a couple years ago, what, when Brock and, um, and Roman had that match, and it was built the biggest wrestlemania main event of all time i'm like ah hogan and warrior are going to ask you to hold their beer because this was massive at the time and two and such dividing lines amongst fans you know 
nobody hating the other one, but everyone having their favorite, you know? Some of us were Hulk, Hulkamaniacs. Others were, you know, Ultimate Warrior fans. And by the time the match is over, even me, like a Hulkamaniac, I remember when the three count came down, I wasn't upset. I was stunned, you know, that it actually happened. But I wasn't upset about it. I was happy Warrior won. And I could relate to half the people, at 15 of the 20 people in my house losing their goddamn minds. And the other five of us like, wow, that really actually just happened. They took up a lot of time. They told a great story and they had a couple good spots. Um, probably the best crowd WrestleMania had ever had at this point. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Uh, for sure. I think the crowd, this crowd was more into, yeah, I mean, when Hogan beats Andre, that's a big pop, but this was a little bit different, you know, and I think when you've got the crowd divided like they were and then everybody just kind of, I mean, even, you know, you that, that pop at the end is bigger than when Demolition won earlier in the night, as we talked about, and that was a big pop, but... Yeah, it's it's I agree with you. It's it's got to be it's top five WrestleMania main events, whatever you want to clarify or classify main event. It's it's got to be top five WrestleMania main events of all time. However, you want to define main event, you know, whether if you're going strictly on match quality, it's not going to make your list. If you bring in every single intangible involved in that match, it's easily top five. And I, you know, easily top 10. And I'd probably go so far as to say top five with you. Um Let's finish this off. Talk about WrestleMania six as a whole. Um, and you know what we're going to give the, I'll, I'll, I'll rate this thing first, honey. I'll give it to you first. I know you're going to come in lower than me, but nostalgia is king for me. And this WrestleMania, because there are, it's a bloated card. There's a lot of shitty short matches. None of them were particularly bad. I wouldn't say just like short and inconsequential. Well, I know, (laughs) I'm still giving this a seven and a half out of 10 on the strength of that main event. Andre, the giants last ride into the sunset as a face, uh, the DiBiase Jake match, which was really excellent. As we talked about the perfect Brutus match, which was really good. As we talked about, um, Savage and Sherry and dusty and whatever it was. But I think again, and I'm doing this, I'm giving it the score, taking all the intangibles into consideration and for what they did up there in Toronto at this point, yeah, seven and a half out of ten for me, Tony. Uh, as a whole, at like three hours and thirty-seven-ish minutes, I think I calculated when I tried to research that earlier. Um, I I would say six and a half. I'll give it up, adding an extra half just for nostalgia. Um, there was a lot of nuts. Um, <laughs> but you got Coco Beachwear though. There you go, Coco Beachwear. So that yeah, well, we discovered that today. Uh, but yes, Hogan Warrior. Um, it's interesting because it's like the highlight of the dust eats a gimmick to who's a all time kind of thing. Um, among other things and, and, and the Jake and, and, and DiBiase thing was really well done. Really? I mean, the 12 ish minutes they had to go out there and tell a story. It was excellent. They didn't have a wrestling match. They told story. So that was one of the better things as well. Like you said, demolition, and then who could forget the um, you know, the, the the opener, the dark match, Paul Roman and the Brooklyn. Well, Brawler. yeah, I mean that's yeah. I just had to bring it full circle. That's the uh, that's um, the half point you gave, right? So because I loved the Ultimate Warrior as a child, and I knew this was going to happen, and was happy to stick it in everybody's face who didn't believe me when we watched. Uh, I'll give this a six and a half. Tony's loading up the ship with the rocket fuel, guys. That is I- that. 
Not today. <laughs> that is going to do it for Chapter 7 of the Big Four Project, Royal Rumble 1990, WrestleMania 6, including the first ever watch-along in the history of the Attitude of Aggression. That was a good time, Tony. I like that. That was fun. Um, tremendous match to relive. And, I mean, wow. That's it, man. WrestleMania 6, Ultimate Warrior leaves as a dual champion now. In Chapter 8, we will cover SummerSlam 1990 and Survivor Series 1990. Survivor Series has one of the the only time they did this weird-ass match of survival format for good reason. It doesn't work out so well. But um, Summer... what? Maybe we'll have commentary along the way mm-hmm. about when it didn't work out. That's right, <laughs> and why it didn't work out. But, uh, yeah, SummerSlam 90 is a good one. That's uh, got Warriors uh, title defense against Rick Rude in that iconic cage match. So we got some good stuff to talk about coming up on the next chapter. Um, it's it's a it's a look at kind of the next chapter is going to be more looking at what and commenting sort of on why didn't the warrior work? And, you know, I think these SummerSlam 90 Survivor Series 90 is a microcosm of some of the stuff he did that worked, but just like not able to maintain this momentum that he has in the palm of his hand right here in this moment. And it just not sustainable. And I'm not 100% sure why, other than he wanted to be Hulk and he wasn't. But we'll talk about that on the next chapter. We got a couple more things to talk about. I hope PC Tunney will be here for that. I suspect he will. Tunney, before I let you go, let people know where can they check you out on all the social media interwebs and, and, and all that fun stuff. Well, as far as the big four goes, I'm in there like swimwear. Yes, he is. And as far as I go, <laughs> you can follow PC Tunney on all your favorite uh, social media apps. And you can find Chairshot Radio Network on all of your favorite podcast streaming apps and thechairshot.com. Pro Wrestling Tease, Dave, forward slash the chair shot check that out as well absolutely it's gonna be fun i'm sure dj he loves these trips down memory lane i'm sure he'll be there for the next chapter chapter eight of the big four project until next time thank you guys so much for tuning in tony thank you as always and we will catch you soon for the next installment of the big four project all right guys we are back that is chapter seven big four project in the books Royal Rumble 1990, WrestleMania 6, including the first ever watch along in the history of the Attitude of Aggression Wrestling Podcast. I hope you guys enjoyed that. Um, just some great stuff, some great insight that we had on two really interesting cards. You know, I think, I think you know, as far as Royal Rumble 1990, one of my favorite ones. Um, and really, when you look at, this was the third Royal Rumble and the first one with that truly iconic moment uh you know i mean obviously the year before had the uh the mini showdown between hogan and savage that kind of put them on the path towards wrestlemania 5 and the mega powers exploding this one had an even bigger moment though when you had the hogan warrior showdown in the middle of this whole thing going on and that really and, and just interesting stuff like when you watch it back to look at uh guys like fuji and bobby heenan at ringside watching what was going on between hogan and warrior kind of gauging how was the crowd reacting to this are they are they into this whole thing um how is this holding up or do we have something we can work with here and of course the answer to that was emphatically yes and then from there you get into um wrestlemania 6 and you heard tunny and dj and i talk about the highs and the lows and there were a lot of lows in that and you, as you heard a lot of displeasure on our part with the savage uh and sherry versus dusty Rhodes and sapphire match that we weren't happy about um you know you we talked about the andre the giant face turn you know 
coming full circle and turning face and demolition, of course, being the first three-time champions at the time that this happened. And that was an awesome moment as well. Um, you know, Brutus Beefcake handing uh, Mr. Perfect his first defeat at this whole, th- or first televised defeat at this whole thing. And a lot of things that led into some some uh, some better than average matches. You know, the Jake Roberts, Ted DiBiase situation being one of them. Uh, boss man squashing Akeem in a matter of seconds, things like that. And of course, you heard the watch along, which had some good analysis as we went along with Tony and I watching the match as it went along. And it's one of our favorites. And it's one where it's unique because Hogan was carrying Warrior. And uh, neither of these guys known for their exceptional work rate, that's for sure. But they turned this match into one of the all-time greats. Um, One of the best main events in WrestleMania history. From a technical standpoint, no, I get that. But from the standpoint of everything else, all the intangibles, the epic moment, the just tremendous event that the whole thing was and culminating with that... Yeah, it's hard to say that WrestleMania 6 is not one of the greatest main events in the history of WrestleMania. And you got it all here. So so good stuff all the way around. On Chapter 8 of the Big Four Project, we will get into the reign of the Ultimate Warrior as the world champion. This will take us through SummerSlam 1990, where Warrior will defend against Ravishing Rick Rude in a steel cage match, one of Rude's last big matches in WWE. And then we'll go to Survivor Series 90, which has a very unique and different format with the whole notion of the match of survival. It's the only time they've done this for good reason. It just, it was kind of a clusterfuck. Um, and, you know, it, it's, it's, we'll, we'll kind of try and as we go along, identify, you know, what went wrong with the Warriors reign. Because he's not going to be the champion for even a year. He's going to win the title in April, and by January of the next year, they pulled the belt off of him and given it to Sergeant Slaughter. And yeah, we'll talk Slaughter getting a lot of heat on him because of the angle that they played in the uh, the Gulf War and all that sort of thing. But we'll kind of try and see if we can't figure out what went wrong with Warrior. Why couldn't he connect with? Uh, he didn't seem to lose any fans, but he just couldn't. He couldn't like broaden the scope of things he couldn't attract new fans he wasn't appealing enough to a lot of the masses don't know why but we'll try and figure it out on chapter eight of the big four project uh before you know we get into uh, chapter nine will of course lead us into uh royal rumble 1991 and of course wrestlemania but um let's before we cut out of here i did want to touch bases on a couple things um all in went down today um i haven't seen it yet I did I take that back I did watch the end of the uh MJF Adam Cole main event uh it's um I don't I, I'm not sure what AW is doing other than maybe it does seem like they're trying to turn MJF into a into a bigger baby face you know you kept waiting for him to stab Cole in the back and it kind of like got reversed on you where you were like was is Adam Cole gonna stab him in the back and in the end they hug it out in the and their friends but MJF still retains I don't know what they're going to do for an encore next week for all out um, in Chicago, but you know, that's, that's going to be in a state of flux, but by, I tell you the, um, they didn't exaggerate about the crowd. That was a fully fucking packed Wembley stadium. And it looked awesome. Uh, Ray and I talked about it during bandwagon. There's a stadium looked fantastic. They took AEW took a, took a very minimalist approach to the stage. So you got more people in there and it just felt like the fans are on top of you. Whereas like WrestleMania, because they've got that big stage in the ramp area, you're pretty far away. Not to say that any the way that WWE does it is wrong, because it, it isn't. Uh, it's just a different kind of production value. And this was this crowd was they were white hot. 
they were electric so much so they've already announced all ins coming back to Wembley next year. So there you go. Um, I would be a little bit surprised if WWE doesn't try to do something in Wembley between now and next year just to prove that, hey, we can draw 90,000, 85,000, 90,000 as well. Um, we'll see what they do. But um, some of the matches I've heard were very good. FTR and the Young Bucks was, of course, you know, they don't have bad matches. Uh, there were some complaints about some of the stuff done with like Orange Cassidy wrapping his hands in broken glass or some nonsense. I haven't seen it yet. Will Ospreay beat Chris Jericho. That's good. Uh, I know Cole, Adam Cole and MJF won the Ring of Honor tag titles from Aussie Open at the outset of the show, then closed the show going against each other. Interesting. CM Punk beat Samoa Joe. Um, Hook beat um, Jack Perry for the FTW title. And then, of course, now their word is trickling out that there was some sort of backstage altercation involving CM Punk again, this time with Jungle Boy or, or Jack Perry. I know he's not the Jungle Boy anymore. Um this is a problem, and, and it and it really is a problem. And whether you're the most ardent punk supporter in the world, uh, the guy is just he's just a problem. He's a troublemaker wherever he goes. You know, you had, and he has the worst fucking timing in the world. You look at what they did after All Out last year and the backstage scrum at, at right when AEW is maybe hitting its stride. You know, he just beat Moxley and won the title back, and then you have this big blow up that takes all these guys off tv for months uh, at a time when you know wwe was rebuilding momentum cody had returned that sort of thing now you've got one of the without hi, no hyperbole attached this is the biggest non-wwe wrestling event in history i i don't i know rural class put on some big things at texas stadium back in the day i would imagine it wasn't this big um so you're on the heels of what some people are calling the greatest card of all time, I reserve judgment until I watch it for myself. I can't imagine it would be. I can't imagine it's a better card than WrestleMania was. But again, I haven't seen it. We'll see how it pans out. But, you know, whatever the case is, it's a massive show, a huge success by all metrics. And then this guy, again, causes problems. Uh, Jack Perry sent home. I don't know. CM, I, I don't, I don't know what happened, but if there has been another backstage altercation involving CM Punk, then Tony Khan, you got to really think about cutting this guy loose. Cause all he does is just drag you down and stifles any momentum that you're building at the most inopportune times possible. Uh, Vince would have fired his ass a long time ago. Vince would have said, get the fuck out before I throw you out myself. You Tony Khan need to get some backbone and fire this motherfucker. I don't care what he draws for you. When he, you got somebody who's creating this kind of a backstage problem, a real world problem, real world, real world disruption, like this guy is, it is horrible for the rest of your locker room to continue to keep this guy in employment and keep him in service. Tony, you got to do something about this, man. Because nobody's going to look at you with respect unless you stand your ground and say, I know this guy's a big draw. A lot of people are loyal to him. They say the same thing about Trump, you know, <laughs> and he's got his supporters and a lot of people who detract from that. But this is different. You know, this is this is a, a situation where, you know, you've got a proven track record of just somebody being massively disruptive in your locker room. And, you know, not just that, but causing physical altercations, which exposes you to liability, exposes you to all sorts of other problems. You're not building your company. Jack Perry's one of the four pillars of AEW. That's what the match at Double or Nothing was. CM Punk isn't going to be here, but for a couple more years, if that. So if you're telling me I got to make a choice, I'm choosing Jack Perry fucking eight days a week. Um, and I, I don't I would not give a shit what kind of draw CM Punk is. 
invest in your future. Get rid of this guy, Tony. You, you got to do something about it. And I, and I hold back and say, I don't know all the details. We don't know what happened. Jack Perry might've gone back there and taken the first swing at CM Punk. He may have started this. And if that's the case, then I walk back on some of these comments and maybe you need to look at this and maybe, maybe you let Jack Perry go. I kind of doubt that that's what happened. Just everything I'm hearing, it doesn't seem like his personality. And where there is smoke, there is fire. And with CM Punk, there's smoke and there's fire. So um, other things that I kind of wanted to just touch bases on, lots of rumors about Edge right now. Um, Edge had his last match under his present WWE contract in Toronto about a week ago. Uh, A great match with Sheamus. And since then, the dirt sheets have gotten a hold of things saying that Edge made a demand at WWE and WWE said no. And the speculation is he's AEW bound to team up with Christian one last time. Edge had to come out personally on his own feed and say, no, none of that stuff's true. I've got an offer from WWE sitting in my inbox right now. I just don't know what to do. And you know what? That's fine. The man has earned the right to do whatever he wants to do. He was able to come back from that significant neck injury, get back in the ring. He can retire on his own terms. He can go to AEW if he wants. He can re-sign with WWE on some limited schedule. He can just flat out step away and say, I've done enough. And he has done enough. Um, I, I don't know. I mean, where do you, if you bring him into AEW, where do you put him? I mean, they've got enough legends in there and it just takes time away from people who need to be showcased more. And I'm all for Edge doing more. I would personally like to see him retire at WrestleMania, um, you know, maybe in Philadelphia. I don't know. Or if they've got some big event they can do in Toronto that's on a pay, P, PLE premium live event capacity great i when this thing first started i was like there's no way he's ever going to AEW. i'm not so sure now but it really depends on edge and what he wants to do how he feels how he's holding up physically that sort of thing if he can do it great if he's done then he's done he's earned the right to be done and that's that's kind of all i got to say about it we'll see what happens he may just it'll be very intriguing to see what edge does over the next whether he uh, retires whether he takes a deal with wwe jump ship to AEW's contract will be up sometime in September. So we will know pretty soon. Would I be shocked if he's in AEW? Not really at this point. Not really. They've got some things going on. Uh, I don't, you know, and they are a little bit more user friendly as far as their schedules, but you know, edge is writing his own ticket. He's writing his own schedule for WWE right now. So I, who knows? We'll see. Would I be shocked? No. Do I think it will happen? No, I don't, but we'll see. Um, meanwhile, on the WWE front payback, in the, in the wake of this horrible tragedy and the things they've gone through this week, payback takes place, I believe, next weekend. Uh, I think, uh, you know, you're going to have Seth Rollins against Shinsuke Nakamura. Um, it's been a while since I used the term a transient pay-per-view <laughs> in the terms of WWE because Triple H has done a very good job at, at making these events feel pretty big. Uh, payback so far doesn't feel like a huge event. Um, you know, you got Seth, you got Shinsuke Nakamura. I'm moderately interested in that just because, you know, I want to see what's next for Seth, that sort of thing. Um, I'm not sure if Cody's wrestling. I'm not sure. I think you've got uh, Austin Theory is going to take on Rey Mysterio for the United States Championship. I'd like to see them do something else. I'm not sure of the whole card yet. Well, let's see. Actually, let's look. They've got some more matches. All right. How's this card shaping? Becky Lynch versus Trish Stratus steel cage match. Okay, that that could be that could be interesting. Uh, we'll see what they do with that after they got basically wiped out of the SummerSlam card, which I thought SummerSlam was a was a usually you know pretty damn good card as well, even with the weird <laughs> Jimmy Uso turning on his brother Jay at the end of that thing, and and Roman just kind of 
being MIA since then. Seth versus Shinsuke for the uh, World Heavyweight Championship. Rhea Ripley against Raquel Rodriguez. Uh, you know, they have a lot of history with each other from NXT. We'll see how that translates to the main roster because their rivalry in NXT was fucking fantastic. So hopefully that continues on here. Raquel is one of the few people who can match Rhea as far as strength and, and presence. Uh, Ray Mysterio, Austin Theory, I told you. LA Knight versus The Miz. Um, LA Knight cut a hell of a promo the other night, uh, just two nights ago, talking about Bray Wyatt and how sometimes your greatest foes can be, you know, the biggest. I forget exactly what he said, but, you know, he was basically like Bray Wyatt was getting me ready for anything or everything, anything and everything, possibly. So we'll see. There's only five matches. There's obviously going to be a, a few more matches that I'm imagining are going to be announced this is uh coming up on september 2nd so yeah it's just a week labor day weekend so we'll see what happens uh nxt no mercy is going to be here in bakersfield on september 30th i had to have to get tickets for that because we will be there for that but i think that's all i'm going to touch bases on right now um let me give you some contact information get you out of here if you want to email the show what did you think of the watch along what did you think of our recaps of uh royal rumble 1990 and wrestlemania 6 if you need to talk about the passing of Bray Wyatt or just, you know, give me your thoughts. You know, what is, sometimes it does help to talk about this stuff. You know, we talked about it on, on bandwagon nerds today. It, ta- it helps to talk about this, but if you want to email the show for any reason, it is attitude of aggression at gmail.com. If you uh, want to follow us on social media on X slash Twitter, whatever the fuck it's called nowadays, you can follow me there at attitude ag. That is at attitude, a G G facebook.com forward slash attitude of aggression. Please hit the like button. Also on Instagram, at Attitude of Aggression, all one word. And I think it's probably the same on, on threads right now. It's uh, Attitude of Aggression, all one word, I think. But, um, you know, that's that's pretty much it. And, of course, if you're listening to us on a mobile device on, like, Apple Podcasts or something, please leave us a five-star review. It helps people know that the lawyer is getting up there in age, but he still kind of knows what he's talking about. So I appreciate you know, all that stuff. Um, we're going to cut out of here, you know, at the end of these episodes, the big four usually p- drop a little something highlights of, of some of the stuff we talked about. You've heard a lot of the stuff from Royal Rumble 1990 and of course, WrestleMania six. So I'm actually going to do a double shot here today. On the one hand, we're going to leave out of here listening to Andre the Giant turning babyface um, at the end of this match at WrestleMania six. And then we'll honor Bray Wyatt with a little bit of audio from him winning the WWE championship in that elimination chamber match in 2017 until next time guys. And next time we'll be chapter eight of the big four project, SummerSlam 1990 survivor series, 1990 Um, some good stuff happens. And of course survivor series, 1990 is known for one of the greatest debuts of, of one of the all time greats undertaker survivor series, 1990. So we will get to talk about that, but until next time wrestling fans and aggressionaholics, you stay aggressive, do it with attitude. Tell your loved ones you love them because you just never know. Hope you guys are doing well. Hang in there. This too shall pass eventually. We'll talk to you soon. So long. Well, that generally can happen when a tag title is on the line. Whoa, the big man got in. Look at Andre. Holding him up for Haku. Haku nailed his partner. And Andre is tied in. He's tied in the ropes, Gorilla. Andre's all tied up. is going crazy. Bobby Heenan over trying to free the Giant. Can he make it in time? Look at Andre. He's tied up. He can't get there. There it is. 
say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate megastores led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. What if you could have a career where the opportunities are as vast as our nation, where it's not about mission statements, but a shared mission? At U.S. Customs and Border Protection, we go beyond to protect more than borders, from ship to shore, air to ground, cities to local communities. CBP agents and officers are keeping people safe. Join U.S. Customs and Border Protection and go beyond for something far greater than yourself. Learn more at cbp.gov careers.